What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Tour Life. I am in Vegas. Yuli, it has finally happened. The move is complete. The part-time move. First Tour Life from Vegas. You're looking like you're in a different location. Where the heck are you right now? I'm in Kansas City, man. Oh, you're getting I mean, you're playing the tournament this week. I am. I am. Oh. I'm in uh Pete Cashin's house, famous Pete Cashin. And uh if he listens to this, I want to thank him for putting me up for the week. He's a legend of the sport and uh very appreciative. But yeah, I'm here to play the Kansas City wide open and then I fly to Europe on on Monday. Nice. I did hear that there was some chatter that this might be the most difficult course on tour. Any thoughts on that? It's tough. It's tough. I played it once. I played it yesterday. Um, and I was, I was pleasantly surprised with how tough it was. Nice. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to watching it this week. Uh, I am not playing it. Obviously I'm here in Vegas. I think it was, we, we counted the weeks. I believe it was seven weeks, uh, that I had not seen Kelsey. Um, even though I was back in Dallas during that time, it was the same time that she was out in Vegas trying out for the team. So just, Check. it was just a weird situation with our schedules. They did not link up very well. Uh, so seven weeks. And then obviously I'm about to go over to Europe for two weeks. So I was like, there's no chance that I'm going to do what? 10 weeks without seeing her. So I hadn't even seen her since she made the team. So I'm here this week. Got to play wild horse this morning. Woke up at five 30 to beat the heat got out there with my buddy Sage, got 24 holes in, was really fun. And uh, yeah, it was a good time. A little bit different heat here than in, in Texas. I would normally probably die after a few holes in Texas, but 105 degree heat in Vegas is nothing. It's just, it's just dry heat. It's probably similar to what you're used to in Arizona. So it's, uh, it's definitely manageable, I would say. Yeah, completely different. I mean, we got a pretty, we got pretty, bad heat here the last couple of days, like high nineties, but with the humidity, you know, you're just ripping sweat the whole entire time. Hopefully it gets a little windy. And if it does get windy, this course is going to play very interesting. Very, very, very interesting. What kind of, what kind of style of course is it? Dude, it's a, it's a match between, uh, open OB holes and tight, tight wooded holes. Interesting. Yeah, it has both. Probably has an equal amount of both. Maybe a little more woods, but it's pretty crazy, man. It's it's. I want to see how it plays in the tournament. I don't want to say like it's one of my favorites yet, but yeah, I I played yesterday and I I was doing a three day fast, so I was super weak and I wasn't really <laughs> focusing very very well, and so I couldn't get a good like read on the place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there's a massive difference between practice and, and tournament play massive yeah. difference. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit with the preserve, but there was one hole that I thought was absolutely terrible, hated it in practice. And then playing it, I was like, you know what? This is actually a pretty good little hole. And I think, I think it takes some tournament play and it takes to be able to play with other people, seeing what different skill levels, yeah. how they attack it to really get a good, a good sense of a course. Um, it's very hard to do just in a practice round. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be on the lookout. I know, I know this week there's not really too much going on outside of that. So I'm sure all eyes will be kind of on the Kansas city wide open with people yeah. gearing up for the, uh, the Europe trip. 
Um, I also heard they had 75,000 added cash to this tournament. To this little silver event? Yeah. Woo doggy. I will say there was a lot of chatter on social media about this event leading up to Mm. it. I've seen it for like a couple months now where people have been getting really excited, sending me vote videos of holes, pictures of T pads. And uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to kind of see. It seems like there's going to be a lot of support. And it also sounded like a lot of people were like, Hey, I'm not going to go to Emporia for DDO. We've got a tournament coming right here in my backyard. So we'll see Kansas city kind of show out. And, And let's be honest, Kansas city sports fans, they're nuts. The Chiefs, yeah. they're nuts. So uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see uh, what that looks like in tournament play. Um, all right, well, let's just do a quick little recap, as we always do, of how me and Yuli did this past week at the Preserve. We were out there at Kale's Course, the Black Bear, one of the cooler, if not coolest, trophies that we play for all year. Very cool trophy. What were your thoughts on how you ended up doing this past week out there? It was bizarre. I felt like I played pretty good. I got off to a super slow start. I shot three under first round, which is just awful, but it wasn't like I played bad. You know, I I just didn't score where I needed to score. And then I shot a six under and a seven under, which I also thought was good. Honestly, watching the people just absolutely destroy the place. I was just like, I guess I'm just really bad or something because I didn't felt like I, I played that bad, honestly. And I ended up missing cash by two strokes. I went into the last hole. I was thinking I was either one or two back. So I had to make the decision of, do I play for the birdie or do I go for the Eagle? I ended Mm. up going for the Eagle and not making it. And so that was actually nice because then my prediction was correct. I would have had to Eagle the hole in order to make the catch. Gotcha. So that, so it was a good decision to make no cash. And at least I gave myself a chance, even though it didn't pay off. Yeah, no, I think you kind of, what you were talking about where you're just like, I guess I didn't play that well. I think that's how this course currently is set up where the scoring separation is there for some of these holes for bad play versus good and great play. Like there's massive scoring separation, but then there's not really that much scoring separation at the very tippity top, right? Like if you throw an okay shot versus a great shot, you're probably still going to make birdie. But if you throw a bad shot versus an okay shot, like par and bogey are in play. And that's where you'll see, you know, that's why you probably were like, yeah, I felt like six and seven was like, I played okay. But then you're having people out there shooting 15 under. And I knew it was going to be a slug fest because I've been actually, hold on one second. I knew it was going to be a slug fest because I've been starting to actually keep score in my practice rounds. That's one thing that I think has kind of helped me a little bit is taking my practice rounds outside of the first one that I do that I film with Ezra taking my practice rounds a little bit more seriously and playing for score and having to put myself in positions of, Hey, this is like, what do I do if I end up here? And that's definitely helped me. And out there one day I shot 12 and then the other day I shot 10. And then I think another round I shot like six. So I knew it was very, very scorable because also the 12 and the 10 rounds, it wasn't like, Oh my God, I just played the best disc golf of my life. 
it was just, I didn't really make any mistakes. Yeah. I, I wasn't throwing incredible shots or making huge putts. So I knew it was going to be scorable. I thought after Ricky put down the round that he did, I was like, dang, are we going to see like 40 under par win this tournament? Like this is ridiculous, but we'll kind of jump a little bit more later into that. I do want to talk a lot about the course and how it played. I want to talk about all the different things that went down in MPO. We're going to talk about all the stuff that went down in FPO. We've got to talk about the press conference, the emergency press conference, if you will, from from some of the FPO players. And then we have someone from Neptune Dis, I believe, who is Natalie Ryan's sponsor. They are going to be joining the show later tonight to kind of give their side of what they think is going on with the Natalie Ryan situation, where they stand on the matter. Maybe we can get a little bit more of a conversation there as well. Um, We were trying to get Katrina Allen on. It looks like it's not going to work out tonight. So I'm talking with her about potentially trying to do maybe an interview, just like a quick 30, 45 minute interview at some point this week that we can put out for you guys. Cause I know I have tons of questions that I want to ask her. Not only was she one of the people that, um, was kind of behind the FPO press conference on Wednesday, but then she goes out and wins the tournament. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, I think, you know, people were giving me that excuse, right? They were trying to be like, Oh, you didn't play well because you were focusing on this, all this other stuff. And I was like, guys, stop trying to look for an excuse. I just played bad. Like Katrina Allen, if anyone wanted to have an excuse to play bad, it would be like Katrina Allen. And she clearly did not have uh, that kind of mentality. She went out there and won. So Hopefully we can get her on here at some point and talk uh, about that. I have a ton of questions for her as well. We got to talk about the Euro tour, what's going on over there in Sweden. And then we have a couple listener questions to wrap it up. So it should be a really, really good show. We got a lot to talk about. So without further ado, I think that's pretty much all I'm going to say. I mean, I, you, I played bad. It sounded like you kind of played okay. Like you didn't have, yeah. you didn't play incredible. You didn't play bad. I, I, I played bad. Um, I thought I was going to win the tournament after four holes. I was three under after four ended up finishing the first round, even par that kind of sums up my whole <laughs> tournament. Um, it was, uh, it seemed like there was a couple, we'll talk about this a little bit. There was a couple holes where you could not make make a, make a mistake. You can't make a mistake. And there was a bunch of holes where it's like throw it wherever you want doesn't really matter. And unfortunately all my bad throws it felt like came on the holes where it's like you cannot make a mistake. And it cost me a lot of strokes. Um I didn't play hole 18 particularly well. I ended up spitting out uh first round for eagle and spitting out final round for eagle, which was awesome. And then hole eight, the par five hole eight, which is like a super easy par five. I threw OB two of the three rounds. And that's like an auto bogey essentially on a birdie hole. So it's like, I just gave up too many strokes all over the place. So that's all I'll say about that. I'm over six at that tournament. Yuli, I have, I have not played a single good round at that tournament. Over six. I don't get it. I, had, I don't understand. I'm cursed. There's something going on. 18 is what got me. I really think, I mean, that, that whole multiple people got six strokes on me and I was not over par on the whole. You played it even par. I did. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, we'll get we'll get into that. I've got some fun stats for you on Hole 18. Um, That's crazy. But the big story before going into the tournament, we actually kind of talked about it on here because the news kind of broke right before we got on tour life was the was that Natalie Ryan was going to be playing in the preserve and that the word kind of got out. People started hearing about it. And on Thursday, when I showed up to the course for my practice round, I ran into, Oh no, I think actually Katrina might texted me or called me and she was saying, Hey, we've got a press conference going on today with some of the FPO players at X amount of time. I can't remember. It was like four o'clock or something. Can you, can you be there? And she would, she was like, we would love if you can, you know, stream it on whatever, wherever we would love to be able to kind of get it out to as many people as possible. And I was like, of course, yes. And I told her that I'm not really quite sure if it's going to work. I, I basically was like, if, if it ends up working time-wise, I'll do it. But like, I have this practice round, so I got to play in this practice round. It worked out kind of perfectly. We get through hole eight. They were set up right on the backside of hole nine and just to the left of hole 18's tee pad right there in that pavilion. And so when we got done with hole eight, we just walked over. There was already probably 30 or 40 people probably around there. Uh, the disc golf network showed up to film it as well. I'm not sure where, if that footage has been released yet or not. And then I know Holly Finley, I believe went live on her Instagram. Katrina Allen went live on her Instagram. And then I went live on my Instagram as well. And it was basically a press conference that some of the FPO players that felt like they haven't been able to, really explain their situation and their opinion on things. They wanted to get their opinion out there and talk about it. Was there any like new information? Was there any like breaking news of like, Hey, new science is out or Hey, this new thing just came. No, there was none of that, but I thought it was a powerful thing because we had a lot of players sign this declaration in Sacramento. I believe it was Sacramento. No, yeah what, was it sacramento no, no it wasn't oh, sacramento. Oh, um, yeah but what what city is that um gosh what i'm blanking on it it's, it's nick nate diaz it's uh what is that city name um oh my gosh wait do you know it and you're just not telling me stockton dang it stockton okay the chat's got me Stock is the Stockton declaration. Okay. So we got to see kind of the first time players names on paper that were supporting the disc golf pro tours policy to not have transgender, um, transgender women play in the FPO division. Right. Yeah. Kristen Tatar comes on tour life. We have an open conversation with Kristen Tatar. She talks openly about it. Now, did that, do you think that kind of gave some of the FPO players maybe a little bit more confidence of being able Absolutely. to be like, Hey, Kristen just was able to go out and say what she feels. That makes me feel like I can kind of go out and say how I feel on the matter. 
Absolutely. When the number one player in the world goes on anywhere, any sort of platform, especially if somebody who doesn't do interviews or podcasts, like that I've really seen, maybe a couple, and she lets the you know world know how she actually feels about the whole thing. Thought it took a lot of courage, and I, I can't help but think that that would help other people be like, well, if she's doing it, I can do it. You know, kind of like a lead by example situation. Mm-hmm. And I know she, I, I'm not going to, you know, speculate on anything, but I know she did talk about that. She wasn't at the press conference. I think she posted somewhere on her Instagram saying that she wasn't at the press conference because she was, she had already left the course or something along those lines. So I don't know if she would have been there if she was, you know, if she was practicing around the time or whatnot, but if you want to hear her opinion on the matters, I think she eloquently spoke about it on tour life. You can look up the Kristen Tatar interview that we did with her to hear what she has to say about that. Um, As far as the speakers go, you had on the FPO's division side, you had Katrina Allen, Sarah Hokum, Jennifer Allen, um, Kat Merch, Kona Montgomery, Rebecca Cox, and Jessica Weiss, I believe were all the FPO players. Um, or I guess you could say notable FPO players that spoke. Uh, then you could kind of see in the background, some of the MPO players that also showed up to kind of show their support. Some of those being husbands or boyfriends of some of those FPO players, but also some of those just being MPO players as well. Some of the notable names in the background that people were able to see were Garrett Gerthy, Gannon Burr, Alden Harris, Isaac and Ezra Robinson, Nico Lacastro. Ezra Aderhold, Kevin Kiefer, to name a few. Um, I already kind of talked about how I got involved because there was some discussion on why the heck, Brody, are you broadcasting this? Would you do it on the other side? Here's the thing. More conversation in this ma- in this situation is better. I think the worst thing that could happen right now is both sides, whether, whether, whether you're on this side or that side, both sides just being like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I think the more that you can have open conversations about how you feel, what you think is right, I think that is better because when you start shutting down and not opening up about how you actually feel, that's where like miscommunication can come from. That's where people can infer one thing about how you think something is, but that's not really actually how you think it is. And so I'm on the side and tonight we're going to have someone that is going to come on that is going to probably have differing opinions than myself, maybe differing opinions than you, Yuli. And that is okay. We'll be the first to tell you there is not a single person that we will not have on this podcast. If we want someone on this podcast and people want to hear what they have to say, we will have them on. We are not, uh, you know, saying, Hey, we only want this type of person on the podcast. We only want this viewpoint on the podcast. We've never been that way. Uh, has it been easier getting some people on the podcast than others for sure. And I don't want to rehash anything, but I did ask someone to come on the podcast and all of a sudden I received a bunch of hate for the, the, for how I asked the person to come on the podcast. So there is this weird kind of line. And then the other thing I want to mention too, Yuli is One thing that I didn't understand is if I would have come out and said my opinion on Natalie Ryan playing an FPO right away, right away. So many people would have been like, Brody, no one cares. 
you need to sit back and let the FPO players talk about this. This is not your issue. You need to let the FPO players talk about this. Okay, what did I just do? I just sat back and put a live stream on with FPO players specifically telling you what they feel about this. And now people have moved the goalpost and have said, like, that's a bad thing to do. I don't understand what the right way of this is. To me, the more communication, the better. Am I wrong on that? No, absolutely. I think that one of the most, the most important thing in communication is ask questions, ask questions. That's it. And as soon as, like you said, there's no more questions being asked. That's when things go completely chaos and chaotic. Uh, there has to be open lines on both sides of, of people actually telling how they really feel. And unfortunately, a lot of the culture nowadays strickens that, strickens your speech to where you're afraid of being protrude as like some way, even though if that's not the way that you are, it can like push you into that direction. And so that's when people go silent. And when people go silent, then there's nothing gets fixed, nothing. And so I think it's important to have a dialogue between two parts that are trying to come up with convince one side or the other that they're right or blah, 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 blah. But eventually there's going to have to be common ground. There has to be, there's nobody's going to get their way in this. Like it's, it's just not going to happen. Not everybody's going to be happy. So ask as many questions as you can try to find common ground. I feel like that's what happens in the world. Not just like our little disc golf world, you know? Two other things I'll pose too that I that I found kind of interesting was obviously the first thing about people were getting upset that I was giving people you know these FPO players a platform to talk. I'll give anyone a platform to talk if they will have actual conversation about something in a civil manner. Now, obviously, if that live stream if if that live stream would have gone off the rails and and hateful speech would have been spewed and all this stuff i'm probably ending it i'm probably not continuing to broadcast that to the world or to the you know the the world 700 people or however many people are watching um but i also didn't hear any hatefulness in their speech and i thought they did a good job of actually just saying what they're going through on their side and how they feel. And I was able to empathize a little bit with them on some of the struggles that they, that they feel about the matter and how they maybe feel like their voices for a while were suppressed or weren't valued maybe at at all. So um, I thought that was somewhat interesting of where, some people took that press conference of what they said. And I don't know if you listened to a lot of it, but did you think any of it was hateful in the way of like what they were saying? I went through about four of the speakers. Um, I think it was like 25 minutes or something. Wasn't mm-hmm. so, right around there. I went through two or three of the speakers and no, I, th- I felt like they were just letting everybody know how they felt. Like you said, um, the reason they feel that way. And I think they would just care about their sport, you know, and their, and, and what they're doing. I mean, it's their livelihood and they're trying to protect that. Yeah. And, and the other thing I'm trying to figure out the way of wording this so no one gets upset, but I was called a lot of things on social media after broadcasting that I obviously didn't say anything. 
didn't make any posts about my thoughts or anything. If you've listened to tour life, you kind of know where I stand on everything. And it's interesting too, because when you have someone calling a transphobe or a bigot, when that is not who you are at all, to me, that's pretty hateful. Yeah. But I had people telling me that wasn't hateful. And they were telling me that the FPO players saying that they don't think it's fair that a trans female is playing in their division. They, they will say that's hateful. And so there's, there's weird definitions getting thrown out there on what's hateful and what's not. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. And, and we'll see with, uh, with the person coming on tonight, kind of maybe if they can give a little bit of a light. Cause again, I think sometimes it's difficult, Yuli, if we are living over in this bubble or in this bubble, or you're in this bubble and I'm in this bubble, I think sometimes it is hard to um, really get a good sense of what's actually going on. And there was a few times, there was a few times that uh, I got kind of like choked up a little bit hearing like Jennifer Allen talking about how when she first came on tour, she would just go from city to city to try to get more FPO players to play. Like it was so hard to just get FPO players to play and just hearing the raw emotion from some of these ladies talk about it, 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 whether you agree with them or don't agree with them, hearing someone hurt that way, it is, it is still like a painful thing. If you have any sort of empathy or anything like that, regardless of whether you agree or disagree with someone, um, and I, I, you could, you could honestly say the same thing on the Natalie Ryan side, right? If Natalie mm-hmm. Ryan decides to come on here tonight and talk to us about how difficult her life has been because of all these things that people are t- saying to her and she starts choking up talking about how it's like mentally, you know, really tough for her to even go to sleep at night. Like if you have any sort of empathy that like, that's going to hurt you, that's going to make you yeah. feel bad to see someone in that kind of pain. So, um, Without Kat coming on tonight, I did have some questions. Uh, and hopefully, like I said, we can get her on maybe tomorrow. I might try to get a hold of her to ask some of these questions about that press conference. And then obviously, I do want to talk about her performance at the preserve clearly. But before we go more into the recap, I do want to play this TikTok for you, Yuli, and everyone listening okay. live right now. This popped up on my feed, and I thought this was a very interesting thing. And this is going to be my mindset or at least the mindset that I'm going to continue to try to have on this show and in life. So you're saying that I enjoyed Joe Rogan's podcast. Immediately, I lost 15,000. You don't have audio, so you might have to restart that. And I got all these hate comments about, oh, you love guns. I was like, no, no, I like his podcast. It's, oh, you're you're a right wing. I'm like, I don't even understand American politics. I just like his podcast. And then one of my clients reached out and said, Vin, take that video down. We can't be seen to be working with someone like you uh, if you're posting this content, especially no, on uh, Take it down. I think they, they have, I was like, I think they yeah. have audio. I think we it's don't, easier yeah. for us not to work together. You're changing who I am. You're making me lie to everyone to pretend to be something that I'm absolutely not. And I see this all the time. People are so afraid of what other people think that they will do whatever other people want. And those people don't care about you and they'll forget about you anyway. If you try to please everyone, you will end up pleasing no one. The person willing to state the truth and be themselves, very powerful. Was the person that allows every other person to dictate what they do, does not have power. All right. So um, we obviously didn't get to hear that, but you guys did. You really did kind of just, I guess, summarize that. It's essentially this guy stating that he made this post uh, that he likes the Joe Rogan podcast. 
And then he had all these people coming after him about, you know, things that Joe Rogan is, you know, for whether it's like guns or um, being, you know, I don't even think he actually is that political from some of the stuff I've seen. He seems like he's pretty neutral, but he had people coming after him. He talked about like losing a lot of followers. He had like one of his clients come up to him and say, Hey, we're going to need you to like delete that post. We don't really want you, you know, we can't really have you posting about that. And he was essentially saying that, He's like, you're basically changing me. You're making me have to do something that I'm not. And I think it's a good, a good thing of where if you're constantly trying to go around, if you're trying to, if you're constantly trying to go around and have other people agree with you and you're changing things to get other people to agree with you, you you end up like kind of losing who you are as a person. So moving forward, I'm just going to, we're going to keep keeping it real here. That's all we're going to really do. Whether you like it or not, that's up for you to decide. But I thought that was a good TikTok. I'm sorry that you weren't able to listen to it, Yuli, but I'll send it to you afterwards. Um, all right. So let's jump into the preserve recap here. MPO side, uh, Ricky Wysocki, just an absolute blitzkrieg from the very, very beginning. Just shredder, shredder, shredder has one of the more obscure rounds that we've ever seen a no par round two carding two birdies and an Eagle and the rest birdies to shoot 15 under to start his preserve championship, an absolute berserko round. He goes, uh, this is via stat Mando. He ends up going wire to wire, uh, to now have the most wire to wire wins in all of MPO history. He's got 13. Now Macbeth has 12 Schultz has 10 and Climo has eight. Uh, this was also ready for this. This sounds crazy to me. This was his first elite event victory of the season. Does that sound weird to say? It seems like he's won. I mean, obviously he won cascade challenge, which was a silver, but it seems like he's played. I know, but doesn't that seem weird though to say that? Like this is his first time winning on tour this year, elite event. I thought, how many starts has he had on, on in elites? I mean, not a lot. Uh, let's see. That's a good question. He's uh, he played the well. He dropped out of the Open at Austin. He got eighth at Music okay. City, sixth at Blue Ridge, eleventh at Beaver. He won Cascade, ninth at Portland, sixth at DDO, eighteenth at Des Moines. And then first at preserve. So he's only played in eight events. He started nine, dropped one. So he's played eight events. Um, he's won two of them. But yeah, it's just it's it's when I saw that, I was like, I mean, I know that he hasn't won, but at the same time, like it's kind of weird that he hasn't won, I guess, at this point. Um well, when you watch him play the way he can play, that's when it becomes very strange to where you're like, Why doesn't this guy win every time that he laces him up <laughs> yeah you would think he was a uh, second t to green stroke strokes gain t to green second in the field he was sixth in putting and he was first in birdie percentage which is uh, makes sense he shot 37 under par you're obviously going to be first in birdie percentage when you shoot 37 under par um the number of times ricky right for this number of times ricky eagled holy teen was the same number of bogeys he had the t- entire tournament. So he he eagled he eagled eighteen all three rounds. He only took three bogeys. He took a bogey on hole three and six in round one. Took a bogey on hole eight in the final round. I mean, that's a nutty stat. Uh, 
And I don't know if you saw, you probably did, right? Whole six, you guys, he, you saw that in Jomez, how he played whole six final round. Yeah. If there was ever like a video of how the tournament was going for him, like that, is that the perfect tournament, uh, perfect video of where he's just out of position, no yeah. chance to birdie, throws a, was it a skamahawk? Was it, was it one of those like big backhand it rolls? Just- it turned to a roller or what? It was just a sky roller over the trees. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was bonkers. Um, sky roller over the trees. Plinko's down to, I don't know, 20 feet or so in the trees. And then he cashes in the putt. Uh, again, I don't want to go too much into the course detail, but if that ever tells you that that hole needs some OB somewhere, I think that might be it because he had zero fear in where that disc was going. He was just like, I'm yeah. just going to chuck it. And it would be, you know, it'd be really interesting. A, a shot like this. I've always, I've always thought this would be interesting. If he threw that shot 10 times, how many times do you think he would have been inside the circle? Once. So do you think, you think it's like a kind of a fluky result? Like, do you think sometimes yeah. it might just end up being a hundred feet away or do you not think it will ever get that bad? I don't think it'll ever get that bad. Uh, I think that, yeah, landing in the circle once, landing in circle two, probably five. Mm. Yeah, it was. That's hard to do from there. But but here's the thing: Coling landed in a very similar spot, threw the same shot, rolled up and hit the basket. So I don't know. Everybody who I saw <laughs> try it, like almost made it. Is that the play? Are we just like supposed to jump putt off the tee to that area and then just freaking sky roller? Sky over roller. Everything? I guess, man. Gosh, I was trying to lace that in with a forehand. Maybe I was playing that hole wrong the whole time. Um, final round. He, you know, he didn't have as much pressure applied to him because a lot of the field, I mean, he had obviously a big lead going into the final round, but he kind of mitigated a lot of the pressure by making huge putts down the stretch. He had a massive birdie putt on hole 12. He had a huge birdie putt on hole 14, which was a very scary putt. And then had another massive birdie putt on hole 16, which was an also another scary putt to, you know, 14 and 16 are two of the greens out there that are pretty, pretty scary. If you, if you go haywire and uh, he was just Raptor leg, legsing legsing. Is that the, is that the right terminology? Legsing. No, I don't think so. No. Okay. He had big raptor <laughs> legs. He had the big old raptor legs out there. Yeah. He um, did. Yeah. I think, I think it was crazy to watch because the guy talks about momentum and you were talking about this last week. There's no such thing. <laughs> I know. That is, that is, I mean, I'm convinced that this guy has momentum on his side <laughs> when he talks about it. I because might be convinced too. I might be switching. <laughs> Because he gets those butts rolling and he gets, he, and he, they ain't no stopping him, man. There's no stopping the guy. And I think, I think when Ricky's playing good, legitimately the rest of the tour is terrified. Like oh, I saw, so. I saw them, I saw them absolutely collapse on that lead card. All of them. The person who played the best, maybe the score wasn't the best, but Nick, Nick played the best on the card. Really? I thought, I thought. As far as like holding his emotions together and everything, yes, I, I thought that. I mean, Calvin missed a bunch of shorties. He didn't yeah. look like he had his confidence about him. James Conrad was out of sorts right away. Ricky didn't even he shot. He was yeah. He on pace the first to hole. Sh- 
No, he parted the first like three. The, the, to me, that's that's understandable. Two is kind of a weird one. Three is also kind of funky. Parring hole one, that's that's hard to do. What was he? What did he shoot on the? Fi- I think he shot a seven under on the final. The nine hole. He, he he ended up shooting uh, round one. He shot fifty two. Round two, he shot fifty five. Round three, he shot fifty seven. So he definitely. What opened about the on door. the back? No. What about the back nine though? Uh, back nine. I think he he did shred. He eagled eighteen. He ended up. Sh- yeah. He ended up shooting Seven. eight under. I think on the back. Yes, he shot eight under on the back and okay. shot two two under on the front nine. There you go. So, so he was two was under. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And none of those guys walked through it. None of them. Calvin was four under on the front nine. And then yeah. what happened? A little momentum swing, and then Ricky slammed the door yeah. and they didn't have much. They didn't have, nobody had any Cole Dolan from like the fifth cards. The only one who had something for him. I know. I know. Cole, we'll get into that in a second. Cause Cole's kind Dude, of a monster right now. Um, he slams those long putts, man. And he just ends it. The crowd gets on. He wrapped her legs stuff. Up, and the <laughs> crowd goes berserk. Those guys aren't doing anything like, and he, the one thing I love about Ricky, this is, now, there's a lot of things that are really sweet, but this is the one thing I feel like everybody could take and put it a part of your game. His positive reinforcement on his good shots is phenomenal. Mm. Like when he throws a good shot, he's fist pumping himself. He's any putt that he makes, he's fist pumping. Like the positive reinforcement is like, man, I wish I had that. Cause I, I think throw it's a good shot and I'm like, yeah, all right. That's what I should do. Yeah. Um, I thought it was also interesting too. He got to the point of where he was making so many putts that he was like finding it funny. Like he was, you could hear him like kind of being like, <laughs> kind of like after he made a putt, he would like laugh a little bit like <laughs> another one. All right. And then he would go into like his celebration, but he was just like, gosh, he, he, yeah, he, he was playing, he was playing a different style of disc golf than many others will. Um, there will be some discussion about does, did this course really suit his game really well? Because something that we have seen in Ricky's game is he sometimes does spray it off the tee a little bit more than maybe like a Calvin does. That's, you know, Calvin's a little bit more consistent with his shots. Like Calvin's bad shot. Isn't going to be that bad where Ricky has had some bad shots. And I think this course doesn't really penalize. We kind of talked about this, there's only a couple holes that a bad shot really penalizes you and a lot of holes where a bad shot really doesn't do much at all. And I think he was able to make his bad shots on those holes that didn't matter and was still able to capture a birdie and keep it kind of going. And I mean, um, two, I mean, two holes, Yuli played over par on this, on this whole course Two, only two holes. And again, guys, we are not playing with the, the, you know, the difference between the last guy in the field and the 50th guy in the field is massive. And the difference between the 50th guy in the field and the first guy in the field is massive, right? So it's not like we were playing with all these absolute shredders on tour just yet. It's, it has gotten deeper, but you would still assume some of these holes would play over par only two hole six hole 14 were the only two holes that played over par four holes. Yuli played.
played half a stroke under par. Four. Hole one, hole nine, hole 10, and hole 18 all played half a stroke under par. Wow. Nuts. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we you mentioned Cole Radolin. He ended up finishing second place tied with Calvin. This is now Cole's third top five of the season, Yuli. Is he sneaky turning into like a little bit of a shredder and no one's really talking about it? Like he's just had some sneaky finishes. I don't think it's sneaky. He shoots the hot round, final round like every time. Hold on a second. Hey, hey, stop. Stop. Stop it. Okay. I'm going to mute myself. Go, Yuli. No, Cole Rodallin, it seems like every time I look, the guy has a fire emoji next to his name. And he goes on crazy birdie streaks. He reminds me of, I'm trying to think who he reminds me of. Oh, I don't know. Anybody who's great at disc golf now, like had this type of trajectory of, okay, a little sloppy here and there, makes lead card, kind of fails a little bit, makes lead card, kind of fails a little bit, gets on the fifth card because he doesn't play too good, 15 under. It's like... He's talented, man. Yeah, his and, um No, he just shot a lot of course records this year to jump like final round type stuff. Yeah, he's someone he's someone where his ceiling is towards the top of the field. He's up there with all those yes. guys. His best stuff is is up there with all those other guys. The thing that he has to try to figure out now is how does he make it when he has an off day? when he's not playing the greatest, how does he get to shoot that, you know, instead of shooting seven under, how does he shoot 10 under? How does he get, how does he get that? And uh, I mean, he's got the stuff and he his also, he's someone that I love watching play his backhand form. So fun. And then he just drills putts too, just full sends putts all over the place. So Cole Redon will keep an eye on him. I'm not sure if he ends up, let me see where is he is actually doing the Euro tour business. He is not, he's not going to Europe. That's a bummer. I would have loved to have seen him in Europe, but um, he is not going to Europe. You have Eagle McMahon also making a massive push shooting 14 under final round to jump up a bunch of spots to fourth place. Good finish for Eagle. He was kind of out of it right off the bat. He ends up nine shots off the lead after round one uh, to Ricky and so he's like, knowing, you know, don't take a rocket scientist. You, you've, you've lost the tournament. And, and a course like yeah. this, nine shots off the lead with Ricky, you're not going to make those up. And uh, he, he did as much as he could. He got, he got it to six. So he battled back. Good top five finish from him. You got Garrett Gerthy and James Proctor also finishing uh, in the top five as well. One thing about Eagle his throwing has been really, really good. He actually was the person that led the field in throwing. Um, Ricky got second. We talked about that earlier. He led the field in throwing and also led the field in park percentage. He almost parked 40% of the holes out there. Four out of 10 holes, he's parking. Just tapping birdies. I mean, that kind of shuts down the whole thing of him spraying it around and getting away with it. Who, Eagle? No, Eagle. Holes. I'm talking about Eagle. No. Oh, okay. I thought yeah, you yeah. were talking about Ricky there for no, a second. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm no, saying, I'm, back. Yeah. yeah, sorry, sorry. Eagle, Eagle led the, led the field with almost 40% of, 
parked percentage. Um, so that was very nice. And then we have, uh, oh, some other stats I want to talk about Calvin before we go down the leaderboard a little bit more. Calvin, we mentioned this uh, on debate night, which I don't even know. We filmed that before the show. So I'm going like back-to-back podcasts right now. Also, if you haven't noticed, I do not have a chair, Yuli. I'm I'm full sending. I, I might do this for a little bit. I might go Pat Pat McAfee a little bit. Is this still like okay? That. Is this weird? Yeah. Just to, good. Okay. Just to kind of let my neck kind of rest a little bit. Uh, but Calvin gets his seventh straight top 10, seven in a row, top tens. He led the field in C1 in regulation, 67%, and also C2 in regulation at 85%. So he threw the disc well enough to win this tournament. He just didn't make putts. He ended up missing seven putts inside of circle one, five of those being in the final round. He ends up losing to Ricky by only five strokes. So those five putts that he missed in the final round, he makes those five, five putts. We are, who knows, maybe going into a playoff. Maybe Ricky ends up missing a putt because it's a little more, who knows what happens, but on a course like that, Yuli, you know, going into it, you got to make your C1 putts, right? Like you, you can't, you can't be given strokes away. Nobody's going to win the tournament missing five in, in the circle. Just not going to happen. The final round. Just, yeah. that, that's almost impossible unless you built like a 10 stroke lead. Especially um, t- against Ricky who popped off 15 and he is the absolute best front runner we've ever seen now officially as well. Yeah. I uh, get wire to wire. Yeah. He, he, if he gets out hot, he, he has a hard time losing, I guess. Um, a name. Do you know much about Nicholas Gill? I got to play with him a little bit in round one. His game was very, very fascinating. Whole six for those that don't, that didn't tune in. Whole six is a very challenging par four. It's a tight little tunnel shot off the tee that then flows into another tunnel shot, but it's kind of shaped in a, like an L it's got a really good dog leg. So it's very important. He went jawbreaker zone, jawbreaker zone, park job birdie on that hole. I've never seen anyone play that hole that way. I didn't he know was, somebody could. I didn't either. He was, he was playing his own style out there and it was so funny because there was, there was definitely a couple holes where, you know, he would throw it into like the trees and then it would kick out into the fairway hole 13. He, he missed the, um, the gap a little bit. He threw it a little bit to the right and it just went through all the trees and parked it. And I was like, wow, I guess today's your day. And, uh, well, I said that in my head, I obviously didn't say that to him, but, uh, he ends up finishing the round. I think he ends up shooting like nine under, and in my head, I'm like, this guy just had like the luckiest round of his life. Like, good luck tomorrow, kid. He goes out and shoots 11 <laughs> under the next day. He shoots better the next day. And I'm like, all 12. right. 12. I think he shot a 12 Did he under. Shoot 12? I thought it was 11. You might be right. You might. Uh, let me check. Let me double check. I might be wrong here. Um, Nicholas, where the heck are you, brother? Yeah. I thought he shot yep, a 12. Yep. No, you're right. He shot 12. Yep. He shot three shots better the, the next day. And uh, good enough to put himself in can kind of contention, I guess, for a top five. Ends up not having the greatest final round, which is super understandable. I mean, he's he's getting thrown in there with some of the big dogs and whatnot. But I mean, a top fifteen finish, finishing twelfth place, nothing to to sneeze at at all. Really good finish by him. His previous best finish. You ready for this? What do you think his previous best finish on the Disc Golf Pro Tour was prior to prior to twelfth? I know this. You do? 
Yeah. 62nd place. Yeah. In the 60s. Dude, it is. I got to tell you, I am a fan of this. I know maybe there's some people out there being like, I want Ricky and Paul to be battling every week. Okay, that's fine. To me, this uh, this is what I love to see. I love to see people just showing up and having themselves a tournament. And, um, you know, does he ever end up, you know, breaking into the top 10 the rest of the season? Who knows? It doesn't really matter. It's, you know, he had an incredible tournament and it's not, it's not going to get taken away if he ends up playing poorly the rest of the season. I just think it's awesome to see someone like that. He played well and capitalized on it and yeah. it wasn't too big for like it wasn't too big of a moment for him so hats off to nicholas gill that was cool to see it seems like that's been happening the last few tournaments just new guys showing up on the lead card or second card and you're like who wait who is that exactly because yep. i mean if you look at this i mean they're <sighs> big names here right i mean ricky calvin eagle garrett james proctor james conrad ab gannon i mean these are all people in the top 10 so it's not yeah. like it's not like the big names weren't here, but we are starting to see some people pop up. Noah Meitzma, he he finishes with a 17, uh, tied for 17th. Zach Arlinghouse, Kevin Kiefer, all these guys in the top 20. Really, really cool to see. Yeah. Um, and definitely would love to see more of it, obviously, moving forward. I'm I'm a fan of seeing kind of the the young guys or new guys on tour kind of pop off and make make some noise. So um Anything else going down the leaderboard here, Yuli? Anything else that you wanted to talk about? Any players, you know? I mean, it was cool to see a couple of the big arms show up and play in the tournament. Alex Geisinger having a pretty good finish. Yep. David Wiggins not having the best finish. I actually played with him one of the rounds, and it was an absolute blast. Mm. But uh, to watch Alex go out there, and, and he played pretty, I think he got like 22nd or something. Yeah, I, was guy, uh, I believe he got 27th. Yes, tied 27th. tied for 27th. Um, so, yeah, great Pretty finish. Pretty good for not ever playing. Like, I don't think he has a tournament on the year. No, he kind of – he uh, he was on the press conference for the Pro Tour this week, and he did mention that he kind of came out of retirement, if you will, for, like, the distance contest, and he hasn't really been playing that much. And so I, I'm I'm sure he is pleasantly happy with his uh, finish at this tournament where he ended up. Yeah. Um, but this is – this is a weird tournament, man. This is like a really weird tournament because you have people like, you know, Isaac Robinson fin- finishing 31st, Aaron Gossage finishing 34th. Um, you know, Gavin Babcock, who just had a great tournament finishing 41st, Chris Dickerson, 47th. Like it's a, uh, it, it's just, it's one of those tournaments where if you're not like firing on all cylinders, you you just gotta you know you gotta keep scrolling down the leaderboard to find your name because you have to. This is what's crazy. When I finished my round, it was uh, what was it? I was two one stroke when I finished out of last cash. Okay, like mm-hmm. as it sat with people finishing or and something, I was one stroke out of cash as I finished. But this is what the crazy part is. I was four shots out of fifth. <laughs> as it sat like if i you know got to at the time 20 under was fifth place 
Like it was so tight. It was crazy. <laughs> I knew obviously I was going to get passed by a bunch of people, but, yeah. but at the same time, just looking at that and being like, Oh my gosh, like you have to average six under par, like yeah, totally doable, but you can't have, a bad, you you can't have a bad day. You can't have a bad day. No, can't, cannot have a bad day. Um, let's talk about baskets. Let's talk about baskets. Everyone loves talking about baskets. Silas, play sure. the video. Silas, play the video. Please tell me this is Isaac's. Play the video. Play the video. Yeah. Whoa. What? Whoa. Do we have an issue with baskets, Yuli? I, I, I dare say. This is Isaac Robinson putt. putting let's from 25 feet. My goodness. The disc. Oh, went I, Where? I know people oh. love to like make the argument of, like that's not a perfect look at, putt. Look at, look at their faces. It's tough to say like, like that wasn't a good putt. On that basket, that's a perfect putt. That is <laughs> an absolute Whoa. dream putt. Whoa. Good. Here's the thing with Isaac. He doesn't putt hard. I dare say no. that was a perfect putt. Like he has one of the more floaty putts. Here's what this thing does. It goes through both set of squares. That's the worst spit out I've ever how, seen. How are you how how are you designing a basket that the size of the squares are bigger than the disc? Someone explain that to me. Why would you design something where you're like, you know what? This could be wild and this would suck, but the disc actually could slide through this. What, what is the technology? What is the thought process? Here's what's that? also crazy about it is those weren't the baskets when we first got there. The baskets when we first got there might've caught better than the ones that they put in afterwards. I was very confused by the black baskets. I thought for me, it was very hard to see those. I feel like they probably didn't pick up nearly as well on coverage. I don't know. What did you think? Um, or not, not an I issue. No problem. No, 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 I, I no problem with them. I just have problem with them. I saw a bunch of spit outs. I saw a bunch. Yeah. Uh, I, had, I had more bounce outs. I had, yeah, I had two like push outs. I guess you could say push outs or whatever on 18 um, and saw a couple other ones, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, we might be having a basket issue at some point. I don't know how many more times this has to happen, but, uh, and maybe we're wrong. Yuli, maybe, maybe the fans love this. May, I know players don't like it and we're both players, but maybe the people watching at home, they're like, yes, we love this. We love the fact that we don't know if a putt is going to actually stay in the basket or not. Um, and maybe we're just completely wrong. I, uh, I think we're seeing more spit outs now than we did like five years ago. Yeah. What is that? What's going on? Well, five years ago, I've been playing, but well, let's say three years ago, if there's more spit outs happening right now than I've what? seen in a long time. Why? Cause we're playing on, uh, <laughs> the same two baskets every other weekend. It seems like, okay. So you think it's just literally back in the day, we weren't playing on these baskets as much as we're playing on them now. So you think it's just specifically a couple baskets? I know this for a fact. The first ever, the T1s, the Prodigy T1s mm-hmm. that I got, and I still have one. I think my brother has it. was one of the best catching baskets I've ever put it on. It was. It was heavier chains. It was bulkier. The thing weighed like 700 pounds. <laughs> these are not the same. They're worse baskets. They had a basket design that was great. This is a worse basket. I know I, that. I played for the company. I had the I I putted on all their 
It was, in my opinion, when they first came out with it, it was one of the top three best baskets that we we had. And another one that we don't see as well is the DGA Mach X. Those are fantastic mm. baskets. Those are fantastic baskets. They caught a lot of stuff, maybe even too much because they were so wide. You yeah. know, like they caught everything. They're gone. Aaron, know, Aaron, Aaron wants us to play in a, with a basketball hoop. That's what he wants. He wants putts to have to go through a net, like vertically. It would completely change putting. Uh, the scuba would probably be the best putting form ever. Uh, but that was a hot take from Aaron the other night uh, late in the Airbnb. Is he, he wants it to be a net. He's like, you can't have spit outs if there's a net. And I was like, okay, if you, if you are trying to eliminate the spit out, that would actually eliminate them. But however, that would change the entire game of disc golf. And I don't know if people are really for that. Um, Okay. I do know this. I feel like you can find a basket that doesn't just pop them out every other putt. I do. I've putted on them before. Like we have a, we could, we could do it collectively. Like I feel like we could come up with a design that they just don't squirt right out the back. It's so scary, it. dude. It's so, as soon as you see one person do it on your card, you're like terrified the rest of the round of just this is, is my... the only. Yeah. No, keep going. No, I was done. Yeah. This is the first tournament. And I said this to my, um, to Brad is I'm like, I've said, I haven't gotten a spit out all year. I know this is the tournament where I get one. I know it. These baskets are just not, they're not going to cooperate. It didn't happen, but I was terrified on every putt that it was just going to go bing bong. <laughs> and then you just stand there and you're just like, well, this sucks. Um, all right, let's jump to another talk topic that was thrown around social media a whole bunch. Obviously, when you have a three-day tournament and the winner shooting 37 under, you have multiple people shooting you know, 15 under. I believe the final day, 16 people ended up shooting double digits the final round. Obviously, the wind is down, and I get it. Whenever you put this many good players on a course without a lot of OB, with no wind, you're going to see it shredded. I don't think 37 under would have been the score if the wind was over 15 miles per hour. It, no chance. However, when the wind is down, I, I'm just never a fan of saying like the wind is our protector, right? Like we're, we're designing a course with the intentions because it was windy leading up every practice round me and Ezra played. I don't know how we did it, but it was like 15 or 20 miles per hour. We, we picked the windiest part of the day every single day. The course played a lot harder, a lot more difficult, still scorable, but a lot harder. Do you think the preserve, the way it's currently set up right now, do you think it's set up too easy for the disc golf pro tour? Has multiple people shot the same scores. Yeah, it's too easy. Hmm. I, in my, in my, what I want to see is just absolute carnage. That's what I want to see. I want to see tens. And I want to see sixes and double bogeys and triple bogeys and birdies and pars and blah, blah. And I want to see, a. I, I would love to see a bogey free round that somebody looks at and they go, are you kidding me? They went bogey free. Northwoods black has not had a bogey free round. I don't mm. think. Mm. Yeah. Ever. I mean, Woods, you know, Woods is one of those where it's like you can make Woods very, very challenging, right? It's not difficult to make a very challenging Woods course. Yeah. 
it's a lot harder to make a very challenging course in the open. I mean, USDGC, you go through that course without a bogey, you're having a great round. Yeah. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. It's possible to do. And everybody comes at me with the same thing. Like nobody cares. And you just want to see OB everywhere. But I do, I want to see people stressed out. I want to see people stressed out. I want to see Ricky, the Ricky Wysockis of the world scared to throw aggressive shots. And they ha- and if they do, they go OB. And if they throw it perfect, then we get, then we get like the crowd roars and stuff. We don't see that. It's just throw it as far as you can <laughs> throw it as far as you can throw it under the basket with a putter and get a birdie. That's literally that's five holes a week. We play this, we this is play that. This is a diff. Um, this style of play though is a diff. It is stressful, but it's like a different stressful. This is a stressful of like, I have to execute. I am, I am supposed to execute. I am supposed to not mess up the versus the stressful. I think you're talking about is like the mental stress of trying to figure out what the right decision is. There is no decision-making here. The decision is always play for birdie. There is no, ah, should I lay up? Should I, should I run? Uh, There is no, you're running it. You're going for it. The stress is knowing going into the round that you have to shoot 13 under par to be competitive. That means obviously you're assuming you're eagling 18. That means you can only mess up on six holes. Six holes are the only, that's all you can do. So if you start off two under through four, there's already two. You can only mess up four more times. That is a different type of stress. It's not my favorite type of stress to play. It certainly is not my favorite type of stress to watch because I love course management. I love seeing how people dissect holes. Um, I think this course could use two things. First one, obviously, lots, a lot more OB and hazard. But then also, I think this course could really use different pin locations. I think some of these holes the pins right now are set up in such an attackable spots that I would love to see the one that like jumps out at me right away is hole 11 hole 11 is the really cool Island hole. That's not really an Island hole because you can miss the Island on the right and still be in bounds, or you can do what Ricky did, which we'll pull up here in a sec uh, right now. Actually, if size wants to pull up, you can shank your drive over into the trees and land a hundred plus feet short of the actual Island and make your putt for birdie. Now, was this an incredible moment? Yes. Was this cool to watch live? I'm sure. I'm sure people went nuts. Ricky obviously went nuts. Was that putt insane for sure? How is the person feeling though? That threw like a shot to 10 feet. That was not for par. That was for birdie. He was not OB. He was inbounds. That was a birdie putt. I know a lot of people thought he actually played that incorrectly. Uh, that was a birdie putt. He hit a tree, drops and bounds, makes that putt. And I think the big issue for me on this hole is like, if you, Yuli, step up there and you're battling against Ricky, right? And you stepped up there and you throw it to 10 feet and you're like, heck yeah, let's go. And then Ricky shanks his drive over into the trees and it drops in. You're now like, holy smokes, I can have like a two shot swing on this guy. If that's, if that's inbounds though, and Ricky just goes up and makes the putt, like where's the score separation there? Even if he misses the putt there, even if he misses the putt, it's you're only picking up one stroke. 
you know the sad part about that is like uh the whole design on that one's flawed because you can throw a worse shot than a good shot and not yes. be penalized. Yes. So you can fly over the basket, almost ace it, catch an unlucky skip and go out of bounds, have to go to the drop zone, take five to mm-hmm. where you could shank it into the trees way right, kicks down right there, you throw up and make three or two in his case. That just should never be an option. If you don't land it on that top tier, if it was my course, if you're not resting on the top tier, you're going to the drop zone. And I like the drop zone. I think it was super, Great drop super zone. hard. Great drop zone. And I fived it one of the rounds. Yeah, I buried, I buried it twice. And then uh, I landed on the right side, like the weird side that you should be OB, but you're not. Uh, mm-hmm. Ended up missing the putt over there. It is a difficult putt over there, I guess. But again, like, I don't know why. I don't know why I'm getting adva- like an advantage, but that was a hole to me where it's like, if you change the pin location, the pin location right now is about 20 feet off of OB short Sunday. Let's move that pin location five feet off of OB short, right? Yeah. Why not? I think that's what this course really needed because of course, when it's playing this easy, seeing it day after day after day, obviously some people are going to tune in. They're going to want to see birdies, but I think some people a lot, you know, some people aren't going to want to see that. All you had to do is like change some pin locations. That whole place completely different. If it's five feet off the front. And is, uh, there, is there a big difference between seeing a birdie, whatever a birdie is and seeing a par, whatever a par is, as far as the visual intake, no, is there, a difference? there shouldn't be there should, because it's the whole argument that par is re- like, doesn't matter part part. Yeah. It's the same argument. When you say like par doesn't matter, it's the same thing as like a birdie and a par don't matter. Whether it's a birdie or a par, that shouldn't matter. It should all be about shot value. And to yeah. me, what you just said hits the nail on the head. The shot value on hole 11 is flawed. A bad shot doesn't get penalized as much as a good shot does. It's rewarded more. Cause that could be like a big moment right there. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, and this is kind of my argument. And I think this is where there's been a lot of talk about courses need to get harder. And I think people that have been in disc golf for a while, this isn't, was this a topic that was always happening like five years ago, 10 years ago, people were talking about the courses need to get harder or is this kind of fairly new in the last few years? No, it's all, I, I feel like courses used to be harder, honestly. See, I think, I think they didn't, Yuli. I think what it is, is if you put all of us, if you took all of us and we played Dash's track, okay, my little home course in Dallas, 18 holes, farthest distance hole is like 300 feet. Most of them are like 200 feet or less. If, if you took a pro tour there and we all played, what would end up happening after round one? you would have a ton of guys at 18 under a ton of guys at 17 under a ton of guys at 16. There would be no score separation because the difference between throwing a good shot is 30 feet on a hole like that. And a great shot is five feet. Both are making birdies. So to me, as the field continues to get better and better, right? As more people, more like Cole Rodolins, more Isaac Robinson, more Silas Schultz, more all these players that, you know, Parker Welks, all these guys, as more people continue to get better and better and the field keeps getting better and better. If these courses don't get harder to really penalize 
the different, like to really make a great shot and a good shot different and a good shot and a bad shot different, you're going to see more clumping at the top because there is no, no. score separation. There's no difference between the shot values. Does that make sense? I kind of. No, I, I agree. I thought you, I thought you were asking me as far as like how many under par people were shooting back. Like it, oh, I'm not saying no, no, the, no. Course, the courses in general are harder, but we weren't shooting even on the courses that we were playing. We weren't shooting this good. Cause nobody I think was coming off better of, now. Yeah. Nobody was coming off of the course with a uh, 15 under it rarely ever happened to where anybody, like if you shot 10 under, it was a spicy round, no matter where you were. You know what I mean? And so, yes, the courses, the courses have gotten harder, but the scores have gotten easier. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like yes, the okay. scores are the scores way are lower than they ever mm-hmm. used to be when I started. It never that, used to be like that. And that makes sense because now you have 30 or 40 guys that can go out and shoot 15 under on a course. Yeah, That doesn't mean they're going to, but they can. And if you had back in the day, only two or three guys and they don't, you know, Right, like that does not kind of make sense of where yeah. the more players that can do it, the scores oh, are sure. get lower and lower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a thought the other day, and I, I was thinking like, how could you? People are saying I should group? try kneeling. I'm going to try it. How could you? How could you like decalvin a course? Could I make a course that was difficult for Calvin to shoot five under? And I don't think it's possible. This is very comfortable. Actually, great idea, guys. Um, can you make a course it, that Calvin can shoot five under at? Like that it like that's his best score. Like the best score on the course is five. Can you Calvin prove a course? That's what I'm saying. I don't think it's possible. And here's why. I don't think you can make a course to where you force somebody to go five foot down a fairway for 400 feet. And that's every single hole. Cause that would be the only way to do it. You know what I mean? What needs to happen is when he makes a mistake, he's got to get punished and that's not happening. Mm. So the best players, when they make a mistake, they're not getting the full blown punishment. And so they're playing so free out there. Like Calvin is so good. I want people to understand this. Calvin is so good at hitting lines that it doesn't matter the course you put the guy on. He is going to absolutely obliterate the place as far as hitting the middle gap. And then the flight's going to go exactly where he wants. It's like maybe twice a tournament where you see him and he'll just like pull one. And you're like, Oh, that wasn't a very good shot from him. Like the shot at, in, uh, uh, Emporia when he pulled it to the right and he hit that tree and he mm-hmm. went out of bounds left. That was his first mistake. Now, now remember, he pulled that shot, but he what did he miss it by? Four feet? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he just threw it over the fence straight right. Like, these guys don't make that type of mistakes. And I they're think, throwing accurate shots at 500 feet down tunnels. Yeah, no, I think, I think to, you know, to Calvin proof it, right? And I think that's a good way of doing it because – that was essentially what they did with, with golf is they went out and they're like, how do we make this course harder for tiger? Because if you make it harder for tiger, you make it harder for everyone. And I don't think that's a bad way of viewing it. I think to do that, I think you would really need to uh, create some holes 
that require you to throw like power forehand shots, right? Left to right turning shots that are 350 to 400 feet long. And then I think you would also need to just extend a lot of holes to where the approach shots, me personally, unless we're playing in the woods, I don't think we should ever have an approach into a par four par fives are different because you can get aggressive on the first two shots, but a par four, I think like a great drive on a par four should never get like inside of like 300 feet. I mean, hole one, you throw an okay shot on hole one at preserve and you have like a 250 foot up shot uh, to me. Like there's, there, it's going to be very hard to find that score separation when the, the distances are that low. If you start having Calvin have to throw shots consistently, into green tough greens from like 375 to 425. That's where I think you're going to see him make mistakes. And then when he does make this mistakes, I think what you're saying, he has to be punished and that's key. And courses punishing is not, Oh, you have a 60 footer for birdie instead of a 20 footer punishing is like, you're now in a hazard putting for par from 60 feet. Um, But again, like some people might not want to see that. So yeah. you're not going to make everyone in this scenario. You're not going to make everyone happy. And I'm okay with having some tournaments like this of where it's just a shootout. Yeah. That's fine. Um, no, I like this, the preserve. I like the place. I like the whole, everything they got going there. It's all fun. It's just a style that is not my kind of style. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like that kind of style. As far as my game, I enjoy it. I like it. Not saying anything bad about the preserve, but. I do okay. think that it could be harder. A few things to wrap up on the MPO side. Uh, number of MPO players to go minus four or better on hole 18. That basically means that they eagled either two days in pard or eagled one day and birdied the other two days through all three rounds at the preserve. So in 2021, there was eight players that did it. 2022, there were 10 players that did it. 2023, there were 23 players that shot minus four or better on hole 18. This kind of goes to the fields are just getting deeper. And uh, in total, that finishing hole saw 61 Eagles. There were 61 Eagles on that hole this year. My goodness. Um, Other thing, this could be a pet peeve. We don't have Katrina on, so I'm just going to say it now. One of my biggest pet peeves, Yuli, is this podium talk. Until I see someone push a podium out at the end of a tournament and put first place, second place, and third place standing on this podium, I don't want to hear this podium talk anymore. I don't like it. I don't like the podium talk. You've got a winner. You got a top five. You got a top 10. You got a top 20. And you got make a cut or the cash line, however you want to say it. To me, until I see the podium, I don't want to hear it. It's not well, coming out of my words. It it's not. Yeah, that's fine. Hey, that's fine. Hey, I will. I will say he made podium. Congratulations. But until I see a podium, <laughs> I don't want to see it. That is a pet peeve. All right. Um, the course, uh, as far as like the 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 looks of it and all that stuff, I think what we're seeing right now is the stark difference between like this course and the Portland open, right? Glendevere versus this course, the stark dif- difference is Glendevere 
is a active golf course that has maintenance people working on it. I don't know how many people are working on Kale's property. I'm sure there, I mean, we did see people out there cutting the grass and doing some other things, but I think what we saw was how much of an undertaking it is to actually keep a course looking good on that much land. It takes a lot. And um, unfortunately, I don't know if it was the weather or whatnot. I personally just didn't think the course was in that great of shape. You know, there's tons of weeds and thorn bushes throughout the fairways. Um, I don't know if it looked that well. I did see some people talking about how it didn't really look that great on coverage. And I think it was probably challenging to go from Des Moines to the preserve. And, And I don't know if they have it. Do you know if they have irrigation out there? So what I heard is they just went through a big drought. And they, they haven't gotten rain in forever, and that's why it was the way that it, it is. But do they have um, do, do, do they have the ability? They have, do they have ear, be, do, Oh gosh, I can't talk. Do they have the ability of uh, shooting water on the course themselves? They have to. It used to be a traditional golf course. It's got to be an irrigation system somewhere. I know, but they might not use it though. Yeah, I mean that's they don't. Of, they don't, they don't use it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of they money. They definitely don't. They definitely um, don't use it. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't. How important do you think that is though to people enjoying the coverage of like the actual look of a course? I don't think it's, I don't think it's that important because there's so many different looks of courses that we use on tour as we know it from champions cup to, I mean, Portland to Washington to here all around the country, Montana, like it's just always going to have a different look as far as what our courses look like. Uh, I don't, think that will change for a very, very long time. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah. So if you think the course look bad, that's on you. Who cares? Um, there were yeah. over, it's what you got. <laughs> there were over 2000 people that attended across the three days. Um, and it wasn't where they were just people showing up for MPO. There were people, trust me, I had morning tea times all three rounds. There were a lot of cars in the parking lot in the morning It was a very well attended tournament. And I think it just shows how good Minnesota is with like the, with the disc golf scene. It's big up there. It's people came in, supported it. Uh, You know, to me, I was seeing people dressing up, you know, and like cool, like Hawaiian outfits. People had signs, like all that really matters. I think to a lot of players seeing people getting into it. And to me, even though I feel like I'm cursed at that course and I keep telling myself every year, like I'm not coming back, I'm not coming back. It's so hard not to, because the crowds are so freaking good. I want to play so good there because the crowds are awesome. And you know, I don't know what else there is to say about it, but I thought the crowds were great all week. And I thought as a spectator goes, there were so many good holes. The backs, the back of hole nine hole. One's a great hole to spectate hole. 11 was awesome. Hole 18 is a great hole to spectate. There's so many good spectating spots throughout that course. It suits, I think spectators really well. And um, yeah, I, I, on that aspect, I really liked that. 
Uh, I don't know if there's any place that's better as far as that goes. I mean, 2,000 people, uh, that's a lot. And they can do it all at the course as well as far as parking and all that stuff that was done on site, which they're super lucky to be able to do. Um, I, I don't know if there's any place better than Minnesota as far as crowds. I really don't. As far so, as the amount. Someone just asked me um, if I had a pick between massive crowds or green grass. Good question. I'm going to go with massive crowds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the massive crowds can hide the, the yellow grass. There you go. Yeah. They can just hide it. No one can even see it. Um, all right. I'm going to add, I'm going to say a phrase and I'm just going to let you go. And then I'm going to jump okay. in when you're done. Pace of play. It was brutal. It was brutal, but I don't know if it was just me pace of play on that place. I was stuck behind one card and there was always like five holes ahead of them. Not five. That's a bit, but a hole and a half. I don't know. We waited a long time. On a lot of it. One round we waited on every single hole from I hole would... one on. I want to know, and if you're listening, please tweet us or leave us, you know, if you're watching this on YouTube after the fact or whatever, please let us know if you're a spectator in person at the course, or if you're watching live, does the pace of play affect you at all? And if it does, is it good? Is it bad? Whatever. To me, a big issue right now with the disc golf pro tour that I hear all the time with live is I don't have five hours to watch disc golf, right? We hear that all the time. Who has five hours on Sunday to sit down and watch disc golf? It shouldn't be five hours. Yuli. Like these rounds are taking three and a half, four hours long. We're walking. We're walking like 11,000 steps. We're not walking that far. It's not like a massive course in the, in the wall and in, in that uh, spectrum, the amount of putts, like how long it takes to putt is not, doesn't take that long to putt, but yet these rounds take so long. And I, you know, I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit. If you're a professional player and you are not thinking about how can I play faster? You are selfish. You are being completely selfish because we all as pros have a product that we're trying to create for the spectators in person and watching. And if we're doing stuff, whether it's not being quick about scores on the T pads, or if it's lackadaisically walking down fairways, if all these things are happening to make these rounds way longer than they actually should be, you're being selfish when you're like, I'm just focusing on my game. I don't want to do anything outside of that. To me, we should all be trying to figure out how to play faster because if we can make if we can make the rounds go by faster and be like, hey, you want to watch lead card finish uh, the back nine, right? Because a lot of people are just going to tune into the back nine. You can watch them play in an hour and 15 minutes and you're done. That would be incredible. Yeah. The one thing I hear from everybody is they go, once uh, you you know, go up there and you ask them, Hey, what's taking so long? Like, what the heck? They're always like, Hey, it's not our fault. We just took double bogeys as a card. And it's like, listen, I can take a double bogey faster than a person can par a lot of the time. Hmm. Like it doesn't take that long. 
it doesn't take that long accumulatively to play through a hole. It really doesn't. We got kicked off of the course, not kicked off. We got separated in practice. We were having a seventh sum and we got separated because, um, we had a one sum or two sum behind us. And in front of us was, uh, two film cards. So we were kind of meshed up and we waited on every single hole for them to finish in front of us mm. as a seven sum. And then we split up and it, we started taking longer because of the pace of play in front of them. It's just like, okay, now you got to wait. And then it got backed up and more backed up and backed up more backed up. It is an individual who's doing it every single time. Like if you think about, if you think about like, I don't know how exactly it works or if I'm off off with this, but if somebody's taking 30 seconds, he's pushing the next guy back as well. And if that guy takes a little bit longer, like it's a traffic jam, one guy See, way ahead created the whole long traffic jam. Right. Do you think it's, do you think it's that? Cause I don't actually think it's people taking more than 30 seconds to throw their shot. I think it's all the in-between stuff. I think that is actually what's adding a lot of time and that's stuff that I think is like easily fixable because I don't want people to get up to their disc and have to like rush. I think that's going to be a bad product, but I think people are walking slow. I think people are like hanging around the T pad and like talking for 15 or 30 seconds every time before they do scores. I've been on these cards where I'm just like, what is going on? why are we sitting here? What's, what's happening? And no one likes slow play. So like if anyone's like in the chat right now being like, you guys complaining, what, who likes slow play? Right. Go, please go out to your next disc golf course. And before every shot, before you can walk up to your disc, please sit there for 30 seconds and just wait and see how fun that is. It's no one likes that. And, um, we're just trying to figure out ways to make the product faster and I think, Yuli, the easiest way is we get a marshal, get him in a golf cart, and then just drive around. And if they're like, hey, there's a gap between you and the cart in front of you, you guys need to close that gap. That's all you have to do. Right? Yeah. Or we could have threesomes. That'd be sweet. See, I was, that's a hot take, right? For this threesomes in every group except for lead and chase card. And like feature cards first day, everyone playing threesomes. And then you have foursomes for the other, the, the cards on film. And then that way it kind of speeds through because you're right. Four people playing a, uh, four people playing like a wooded course. The chances of like some per- person that like shanking it into the woods and, you know, taking forever is very, very, very slow. So, um, all right. That's just me. And again, I don't know why people are getting, uh, so upset in the chat about this. My thought on it is like, I'm trying to make a product that's more digestible and easier to watch. And then people, I, I mean, it's weird because people are complaining that they don't have time to watch five hours and then they get upset when me and you talk about pace of play. So I don't know how to really solve those people. Maybe, maybe they just are upset about everything. Um, all right, we'll move forward. FPO. Let's let's quickly go over what went down in FPO. My knees are starting to get a little sore in this position. I will have a chair next week, but I also will be in Europe next week. So it'll be a little bit different. We'll, we'll be coming live from Norway. Um, all right, FPO, Katrina Allen, round one, ties the course record, shoots 10 under par, 
carding only one bogey throughout the round. Really good start for her. She also ends up going wire to wire and never really gets challenged other than in the final round. There was a little bit of a push from Kristen Tatar, who then quickly kind of gave it right back. But Katrina Allen takes it down. She was second tee to green in the field, first in park percentage at 20%, second in C1 and reg at 48%, and first in birdie percentage at 46%. I don't know if this, this has to have been her longest gap between wins on tour. She hasn't won since the first event of the season. Trouble, uh, trouble in Vegas, not trouble in Vegas. That was the trouble. ultimate <laughs> trouble in Vegas is the ultimate Frisbee tournament. I used to play. Wow, dude, that is what I haven't said that in so many years. Uh, it, it is uh Las Vegas challenge. She won that earlier. Shout out to all my ultimate Frisbee peeps listening to this right now. That was a throwback trouble in Vegas, man. Good times. Good times. Um, but yeah, Katrina Allen, just super solid performance all week going wider, wire to wire, taking it down. And like we mentioned too, a lot of stuff going on, right? It wasn't just a, um, let me just go out there and play willy nilly. No one's paying attention to me. She probably had a lot more eyeballs on her this week than she has in the past. Um, so yeah, impressive, right? Oh no, no doubt. I mean, coming kind of out of nowhere too. She took a weekend off, uh, from our last tournament. She didn't play Des Moines. And so we didn't see her there. I pretty positive. And like you said, a lot of events in a row without a win. And so maybe that weekend high off kind of rejuvenated her. And then I, I think that she's always played pretty good at this tournament though. Hmm. Um, she's won the majestic a few times. This is where she's from. Okay. And so I'm sure the crowd was a little bit on our side and stuff and had a little jolt of energy, but yeah, very impressive. Yeah. And then you have Kristen Tatar coming in second place, uh, just behind Katrina Allen. She, th- this is the stat, Yuli. You ready? Cause this is, this is what you've been saying the whole time, man. I'm going to set you up here. Kristen Tatar is now O and 17 when trailing by three plus strokes heading into the final round. Now, I mean, how many other people can we pick that stat for like three plus strokes? Like that's a lot of strokes going into the final round. Um, so I don't know, like, what do you, I'll let you go in your soapbox. Go ahead. All right. So if you give Ricky, let's put Ricky. Okay in that same spot. He's probably going to win a bunch, right? Best player in the world. If he's up by three shots, what if Ricky's down by three shots? How many times does he come back? Does he come back any of the times being out of the 17? I mean, we've had a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, we had a lot of people on chase card win this year. So it's a yes. Yeah. It's an absolute yes. Okay. You're probably right. If Macbeth is doing the same thing, he gets caught. Is he going to be able to come back ever? If he's on the lead card, three back, Mm-hmm. Yes. If Gannon, he's already done it. We know that's a yes. Calvin, yes. Kristen Tatar, no. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. If Chris, Kristen, if you're listening, this is a challenge by Yuli to. I mean, to, I've been saying it the whole time. I, I know. I, I, know I want to see it happen. I'm a big Tatar fan. Big Tatar fan. But if you ask me every single week, and that's my only knock. Yep. 
I mean, you've been, yeah, to be fair, you have been consistent every week. You've been saying the same thing. You're she's great when she's a front runner. As soon as, as soon as, uh, you know, she, she gets, you know, behind a little bit, she tends to fall off and you, you've been right. So there's that. I know some people might be saying, well, she wasn't leading going into Waco. I believe she was two back in that scenario. And then my, and my argument with that back. is she was back, but she didn't even know she won. Yeah. You know, she didn't right. even know the putt was for the win. Um, At least that's what she says. She did say that. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to finish out your top 10, you have Holland Hanley in third, Missy Gannon tying cap merch and Ella Hansen in four, fourth Paige Pierce and Haley King in seventh Valerie Mandahano sneaky top 10. She, okay. uh, if you haven't seen, they just did a, a full piece on Valerie on the disc golf network talking about the injury, uh, the ankle injury and all that. So if you haven't watched that, go over to the disc golf network, give that a watch. It's a little docu series, or it might not be a series, a docu, a, a small documentary about her injury that she's going through. And then you have Jennifer Allen, uh, finishing out the top 10 of FPO. There you have it. Um, let me see. Silas, how are we doing with our guest? I think they might be. We got the new system today, Yuli, where we have like a, oh, se- okay. a separate room. So the size can pull them in at any moment. Okay, sweet. I'm hearing that he is almost ready to go. So, this was, this was something that I definitely, you know, we had Paige Pierce on Paige. I wouldn't say is like the, the, the again, I, I hate like putting words into people's mouths, but Paige did have some things to say about pro Natalie playing in FPO, but also brought up some issues about being like, well, yeah, maybe that is an advantage that I haven't really talked about. We haven't really had anyone yet come on the show to like share their opinions on why they are pro Natalie Ryan playing in FPO. We had, uh, and I posted on Twitter and Instagram, seeing if anyone is welcome. And obviously we've talked about it on here many times about, Hey, if you are an FPO player, cause I think it'd be best to have an FPO player come on and talk about it. We would love to have you on and have a discussion. Um, haven't gotten anyone to come back and say they were interested in coming on, but we did get Neptune Disc, who is Natalie Ryan's manufacturer, disc manufacturer sponsor. They did reach out saying that one of the owners, I believe, or someone that's affiliated with Neptune Disc would love to come on and kind of share where they are. Now, obviously, they support Natalie Ryan financially with a sponsorship. I'm assuming they also probably support her playing in uh, FPO as well. So definitely interested in having them come on and kind of give us a little bit more insight on what's going on with them. And I think Silas, we are good to go. So without further ado, we will bring on our guests. Now, I believe this is Taylor joining us now on tour life. Taylor. Are you with hey. us? How's it going, man? I'm here. Yeah. It's hey. going well. How are you? Doing well. Appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on and talking with us. I guess uh, if you want to just kind of give your affiliation or like what you kind of do with Neptune Disc right now uh, to kind of let everyone in on, on who you are and, and who you work for. 
Sure. Yeah. I'm a part owner of Neptune Discs. There's uh, three of us in the ownership group. Um, one is my brother and the other is a friend from college. And, um, and yeah, we, we sponsor a handful of different players. We, uh, we thought it'd be a fun thing to do to, to try to start a disc golf company. It's actually very hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, we're, we're, we're figuring it out. We're, um, we're close to having, um, some this out in the market. Um, we got a pre-order live right now, um, and expect to get some this out in the market in uh, in August. So things are finally coming together a little bit. Are you guys trying to manufacture discs like in-house yourself? No, no, we, we are not trying that at the moment right now. We're working with a, a disc golf manufacturer. So, uh, we, we were working with, uh, a disc golf manufacturer, or a, a plastic injection molding manufacturer who's never made a disc before for okay. our first disc, the squid, which I have right here, uh, the squid and, um, the, they had never uh, made a disc before, and that kind of showed there was some there was some kinks to figure out, and uh, and that's still going on. Uh, we actually are still in the process of trying to work with them to to get some squids. Um, oh, sorry, I think my, I don't know if my connection's bad. I see you. it looks like you're oh, saying something, you. but I don't hear anything. No, no, we can hear you. You're good. We haven't said anything. Okay, gotcha. Um, okay. Uh, okay, I guess my, my thing must be really delayed anyway. So, um, yeah. so that was for the squid. Yeah. Okay. So, and then, um, and then we're working and then we uh, actually partnered with a different manufacturer, one you've definitely heard of, but I'm not liberty to say, uh, for our, our three newest molds, which is a putter, a mid and a fairway. Uh, here's one of them right here. The, uh, the splash, this is our putter. Um, so yeah, so we're we're partnered with uh, with an existing disc golf manufacturer now, and um, though we're expecting to have those in August. Okay, great. Um, okay, so question I have is, what were the talks with your guys' company about uh, initially reaching out, and it, did you reach out to Natalie initially, or did Natalie reach out to you guys about the sponsorship? Yeah, I wrote to her. So I knew Natalie uh, for just from playing locally here in Virginia. And uh, I just reached out to her on a whim, almost as like a joke. Uh, at the time, I thought she was still sponsored by Prodigy. and uh, But I had like a little bit of relationship with her. So And we were just starting out. So I was like, hey, what are the chances you wear a Neptune disc hat uh, while, you're, while you're out on tour? This would have been 2022, I guess, the beginning of 2022. Yeah. Um, and she goes, she goes, well, actually I'm not sponsored by prodigy anymore. So, uh, open, I got, I'm, I'm looking for a sponsor and I was like, Oh, okay, well, how about we be your main sponsor then? Um, so it kind of really just happened on a whim. And, um, and then from there we realized that, you know, uh, it was something that we were passionate about trying to support, um, a, someone like Natalie, um, who doesn't get a lot of support and, and was struggling to, um, to nail down other sponsors. Do you guys currently sponsor anyone else on the pro tour? No, no one else on the, on the pro tour, like full-time. Uh, we have a couple people that will occasionally pop up at, a, at an event if it, if it happens to be close by or something. Um, I, like I myself went to Idlewild, um, 
last year or was that two years ago? I, I can't even remember anymore. Uh, but, uh, and then, uh, Doug Ferriero, a local Virginia player, he, he pops up at some events. Um, Rebecca Minnick, she mainly plays in, um, in the amateur division, but sometimes she'll play FPO, um, on, on the tour, just like, just to get that experience. Definitely saw Yuli uh, at the Lake Marshall Open last year. I'm a little upset he's not wearing his Neptune disc shirt because um, I know he's got one. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, are, are you guys in talks with anyone else on the Pro Tour about um, potentially sponsoring? Are you guys putting kind of all your eggs in Nat- uh, Natalie's basket, if you will? Definitely not putting all the eggs in that basket. Um, just not in the talks with some with anybody on the pro tour right now because our main focus is getting the discs. We we really need to to get some discs in the market to start getting some sales uh, before we can really um, ramp up those other talks. We we were talking with some people um, at the beginning of this year when everybody was having contract talks, um, but then we quickly realized that we're a little bit out of our league to <laughs> to uh, pursue somebody on the uh, the MPO side uh, on the pro, on the touring side just a little too expensive for us at the moment. So definitely need to get some cash flow going first. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. So obviously you guys know that going into sponsoring Natalie was going to make headlines and you guys were probably going to be connected with Natalie throughout this a lot. And you guys have continued to kind of show support for Natalie playing in the FPO division. Um, I guess what were your initial thoughts when you saw, you know, a bunch of the FPO players come out this past week with at that press conference and and say the things that they said about uh, Natalie playing in the FPO division? So uh, I'll just first give a disclaimer that I've been a little disconnected from from the disc golf world for the past couple weeks and months because I was, uh, my wife just gave birth to our, our child, uh, one week ago. So actually all that was happening while I was in the hospital. So I didn't really, thank you. Thank you. Um, so I, I like didn't see much of it. So my first thought was like, I mean, yeah, that's, that's something that's, I don't know. I didn't, that's something that was just happening and it is what it is. And I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really have much thoughts about it. So when you guys first sponsored Natalie, like you said, two twenty two, and then she, she has a really great season. And then the news comes out this year that it's, you know, it, she's not going to be allowed to play on the pro tour anymore. What was that like? As far as being the sponsor, did that like, you know, obviously she's not going to be able to play on the pro tour anymore it's going to be smaller events, you know, with the rules that they came up with as far as the PGA. Yeah, definitely. Definitely wasn't, um, you know, ideal. It wasn't something that we wanted. It wasn't something that she wanted, but uh, we, we, you know, just took a step back and realized that um, part of the reason, uh, you know, obviously part of the reason that we want to sponsor her is for exposure. Of course, you know, that's why you want to sponsor somebody on tour. You want to get your name out there. You want to get sales, of course. So when it, you know, we found out that she wasn't going to be able to be on tour, that was, you know, upsetting. Um, but then part of the reason that we, we sponsor her is because we, we agree that with, with, you know, the things that she says and, and we, we are on that side, I guess you, you could say, um, you know, so we fa- find it very important to our company values to, to still, 
will support her um, and give her the ability to go out and, and do what you know she loves to do and, and play the sport. So we've seen in other companies where you know companies have come out and and taken political stances on certain situations and uh, you know sometimes they backfire. And we've seen in disc golf really a lot of companies, unless I'm you know unless I missed it, I really haven't seen any other disc golf company really come out and have a stance on the issue of, you know, Natalie Ryan playing an FPO or transgender, um, playing, playing an FPO. What was, was, what was the thought going in behind saying, you know, Hey, we we're okay with coming out and supporting this, even though no, no other company around is, is doing so. Yeah, our thought was that that was just what how we truly felt and what we truly believed was right. So it didn't feel weird at all to to say that. Um, but then I guess from kind of a monetary point of view, like we we have nothing, so we really have nothing to lose. You know, we're not some well established brand with uh, you know with with lots to lose. So what you know what what does it hurt us to just say our truth and say what we feel is right and and be positive and you know if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Um, are you willing to discuss kind of more the side of like, have like an open discussion on why you feel it's fair for Natalie Ryan to compete in FPO? Sure. Okay. Because my, my, my big question in all of this is, do we, do we agree that there is a difference between male and female sports and athletics. Yep. Okay. So we agree that the, the FPO division in disc golf is a protected division. Only females can play in the FPO division where the MPO division is a division that anyone can play in. There, there's no one that uh, is not allowed to play in the MPO division. I'd look up. I'd have to look up the verbiage. I, I, I thought it was that it was a protected division for women. I thought that okay, was the, the sorry, terminology. Women, okay, I, I get. Yeah, I don't know exactly if what what is correct, women or female. Sorry, I'm not sure. But yes, it's a protected division. If it is women, we all agree like that is a protected division for women. Yeah. Okay, and so the argument, I guess, right is someone transitioning from a man to a woman, I guess, if you, if we want to use that word, uh, verbiage, is that fair to now compete, to be able to compete in the woman's division? Uh, yeah, I mean, in in my opinion, obviously, yes. Uh, Natalie is a woman, so she can compete in the women's division. So, the other question I have too is I, I, and I've kind of brushed up on some studies, you know, obviously having this conversation, you get people on both sides of Twitter sending you studies and I, the studies things is tough because I think a lot of times people will create a study to get results that they want to see. Um, and maybe that's conspiracy th- theory Brody coming out here. But um, my, I guess my question too is like, I do understand that there are 
you know, disadvantages that happen when you take medicine to transition. Like the, I don't, again, I don't want to miss, you know, speak on the actual verbiage of what these, the medications called and all that. But I have seen studies that do show like performance in athletics does decrease when you do take uh, some of the, some of this medication. However, other things don't decrease, right? Like I saw some study that talked about um, pushups, and I believe it was push-ups and pull-ups. I believe it was. Um, they went after taking the medication for a certain amount of time, like that difference changed to like almost nothing, but the speed of running a mile and a half, or I think it was a mile and a quarter, whatever it was, that speed still, there was a still an advantage being a male versus a female or a man versus a woman that didn't change. And I think what a mm-hmm. lot of people get confused or not confused, but they don't really understand the other argue, the other side's argument is there are certain things that going through puberty bone, uh, you know, bone length, bone strength, like all these different things, having the testosterone in your body for a certain amount of time that doesn't really change over the course of, uh, however many years taking this medicine do, is that like something that you just view as not an advantage a big enough advantage, I guess, if you will, to make a difference in playing in the FPO division. I'll, I'll start with, I, I haven't seen that. So um, I'd be, I'd be happy to, to see that, but then to go into it a little further, I mean, you know, that's that, yeah, that is, that is one thing. So, um, you know, what, I guess it boils down to, uh, what what are the what advantages are we talking about everybody has advantages in, yes. in certain aspects there's the advantages mm-hmm. and disadvantages natalie ha, you know natalie has a, a huge disadvantage in the fact that she is constantly has death threats every single day and has to deal with that mental thing and we all know mm-hmm. disc golf's a very mental game um you know and no other no other woman on the tour has to deal with that that i'm aware of maybe, maybe there's some um but i think um, i think katrina allen probably so, got her fair know, share for the live stream so there are some women for sure that are also Possibly. getting, getting, well, I don't think it's, it's not possible. It's, it's, I mean, it's their word saying it. So it's, it's happening on both sides. It, and again, it, I don't think this is like yeah. a pissing match I, uh, of like, who's, who's getting more hate. I think hate on both sides is bad. I don't think it should happen, but it definitely is happening on both sides. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I haven't seen that. Like I said, um, I, I haven't seen anyone give a, give a death threat to anyone other than Natalie, but I, I'm not as close. I don't talk to them. So, you know, I mean, they don't need to prove anything to me, but anyway, so back to, back to your point. Um, you know, I, I don't argue typically on the, I actually, I don't argue at all, really. I mean, I just say what I, what I feel, mm-hmm. um, but I don't really focus on the advantage part. That's not the part that I, that I even talk about. Cause I don't have any data on that. I mean, in my opinion, you should be anyone should be comparing uh, the the women to the transgender women, but all I ever see is women compared to men. That's not a fair comparison, in my, in my opinion, because Natalie is not a man. Um, it's, it's to me, it's as simple as that. So when I argue, I argue that Natalie is a woman, and she's proven that actually that the, by the laws of our country that she's a woman. So that's where I stop. You know, she's a woman by literally our laws, so she should play in the women's division. I think this is where me and Yuli had actually a really good conversation about what you just talked about 
I agree with you. There are advantages on both sides, right? I have certain advantages in my life that you don't have. You have certain advantages in your life that I don't have. And for whatever reason, at one point in time in society, we all decided that in the majority of sports, because combat, I think what me and Yuli talked about was like combat sports, like like where you're hand-to-hand combat sports. And um, I'm trying to think what else it was, Yuli that like weight divisions come into play where you can actually physically like do harm to one another, like weight divisions come in. But outside of that, at some point in time, we all decided that there needs to be a split between boys and girls, men and women, males and females in athletics. And we haven't really gone to the next level, which me and Yuli would be totally fine having that conversation because Yuli proposed, or I don't know who proposed it, but we were talking about like the basketball about if you're a really good shooter and you have really good handles, but you're five foot eight, you're not playing in the NBA. You might have better handles and can shoot better than anyone in the NBA. You're not playing in the NBA. And is that fair? And I guess the answer to that is like, as of right now, the way that we have everything set up, like that's just the cards you are dealt. Right. And the only separation that we have right now. And if you look in disc golf, we have other separations too, right? We have age divisions. We have age protected divisions of where, if you're not over the age of 50, you cannot play in an age in, in that division. You can't say like, I feel like I'm 51 and you're actually 45 and playing that division, right? Everyone in that division would be very upset. And so I think that sometimes is what some people are looking at. This is like, you have the FPO division and they've created this division between, but I also agree with you in this, in the sense that maybe we are, maybe some people are comparing females to males or women to men when they need to be comparing women to trans women, right? Transgender women. women. Yeah. And And, I guess there's just not, there's just not a big sample size for that. That's for sure. You know, so being able to say like, just to just go Natalie versus someone else, that's, that's a sample size of one. That's not enough proof, you know? So like you need way, way more data and we just don't have that. Yeah. And I guess the tricky thing to me, and this was like a question I was pondering and maybe you have the answer for it. Is there going to become a line of where you're too athletic? Like you, you were given too many advantages as a man to where, even if you do transition, you don't qualify. Because again, we're looking at a very small sample size, right? But like, we're looking at a very small sample size, right? Mm -hmm. And I get, and again, all this, all this turns into, all this turns into fairness, right? This is what this is all about. Like if I go out there and I lose to Yuli, I'm not upset because it's unfair. If I go out and lose to you, uh, Ricky or Paul or any of these people, I don't look and be like, this is unfair. There are some FPO players right now that are looking at this and saying, this is unfair. I'm playing against someone that it shouldn't be playing in my division. So I get, my question is, do we go down like a slippery slope of where someone that is more athletic, more talented decides to transition over? Does that person all of a sudden become, does it now, does it become unfair? 
Yeah, like if somebody trans uh, and then they go, they play in the in the tournament and they just start winning every single tournament, and it's not even close. Is there is there a fairness problem there, or is it it's just fine because that's the rules? Yeah. So I mean, like we we can all appreciate that this is like a, a vast hypothetical, right? I mean, this is nowhere close to what what is going on with Natalie. It's, she doesn't no, even come close to winning all the time, right? So yeah, and is, I think this is some yeah, and I think we, thing that you're. Well, yeah, and I think we can all agree too. If Natalie was playing in in MPO, right, and every everyone can play in MPO, you know, we've seen FPO players in the past play at USCGC and all that stuff. If Natalie was playing in MPO, we can all agree that Natalie wouldn't be on the Pro Tour on the MPO side. But she she could be on the. She could be on the pro tour, but she probably wouldn't be, yeah, you know, cashing and, and thing, things like that too often um, well, based on her rating. Yeah, Natalie um, would have to, to go Natalie to would have to qualify. I would say, you know. Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. There is a delay. Well, right. So it's a little bit, yeah, it, there, yeah. it's a little yeah. tricky, but uh, go ahead. Go. go ahead. Sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. To go back to your hypothetical, though, in, in my opinion, and I, everything, you know, again, is just just my opinion. Um, I I think that if someone was was genuine uh, in their in their life and that they truly uh, genuinely identified and, and transitioned to a woman, that that's that. I guess I sound like a broken record, but I mean, uh, you know, if they if they were dominating, uh, like you hypothetically suggested, I, I really wouldn't think twice about it. Um, and I know others would, uh, but I wouldn't personally. I would think that they're a woman and they should play in the women's division. I mean, it's like it's just that bottom line for me. Um, and you know, it, we, I, in, in my opinion, I don't have enough data about anyone to know what is the real reason why they're dominating or why they're winning or why they did one thing at one moment. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, you know, so that's that's what I think about that hypothetical. Yeah. No, it's. I mean. The one thing I, the one thing I will just like throw out there. And again, I think some people, I don't know, but we did, we did like the distance contest. I don't know if you ended up watching that GK pro put it out. It wasn't a distance contest. It was a uh, hole in one contest. And not in like, when you see, when you see like some of the top MPO players throw versus some of the top FPO players throw, you know, it doesn't take a, a trained eye to see the difference in the two. And that's where I'm at right now is like, I will never argue that an FPO player, like the top FPO players have the same physical advantages as the top MPO players. Cause you look at any sport and it just, does, I mean, testosterone does crazy things to your body the science, I guess that's not out right now, or really hasn't been around long enough to see is like, can, and it's a, it's a weird way of saying it, but it's like, can you make someone that was born a man that has transitioned into a woman? Can you make that person less athletic to be on a fair playing field as the women? Because I don't think you're arguing that the top FPO players can play with the top MPO players, right? You're, you don't, no, do you yeah, see the, yeah, I'm definitely not arguing that. I'm not, 
I'm definitely not, I'm not trying to compare the men to the women at all. Cause I, well, like I said earlier, I don't think that's a fair comparison. I think that so many things happen within the transition that uh, totally change, change the and outlook and, and, and the, that's the men, ultimate thing, right? A fair comparison. Yeah. But, but that's the ultimate thing is like, does it change? The question is, does it change enough to reduce all the advantages that we both agree men have over women? That's, yeah, the, that's the big opinion. question. Yeah. That is the big question. Yeah. And you know, would, would be nice to have some good data on that. But like, like we said, there's just, there's just not, there's not, there's conflicting things out there. Like you pointed out, you know, I I can point to articles as well and I can send Mm -hmm. you some after this, if you're interested in it, you know, uh, that are on the the pro transgender side and, you know, say that there's, there's not advantages and, and, and even go into the, the, the concept, like I was kind of getting at earlier, like advantages is not just pure distance in disc golf. I mean, that's, that's one aspect, you know, there's, there's so many other disadvantages that those could vastly outweigh the advantages, but no one ever talks about that some of those disadvantages the, the, the mental the mental like i said i mean the the mental aspect disc golf is an extremely mental game so you know having to deal with things that natalie has to deal with day in and day out is in, in a, an enormous mental disadvantage gotcha okay yeah um yuli you got anything else brother no, I'm, I'm curious. The one thing that I wanted to ask is, uh, with the support that you give Natalie, I can't help, but remember like, a a post that she made once that where she it, essentially she, she said, if I, you know, I'm not able to play, I'm going to take the whole thing down with me. Like as a company who supports her, like, is there any sort of PR that you're trying to do to like, be like, Hey, let's like not, throw shade on the whole sport or, or is that just something that your relationship with her is you'd say what you need to say. We support you and we move on to the the next day. Yeah. More so the latter, more so the second one. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that, that, that I think that's some kind of great thing to say. And she, she'd probably admit that too, that she, you know, at at times gets, you know, um, a little, a little heated and and might say something that maybe if you ask her to reflect upon it in the future, she might say, maybe she shouldn't have said that, but I'm, I'm in no position to tell her what she should say on her platform, even though I am her sponsor. I mean, that, that's how, I look at it again. Um, I, I want her to speak her truth. Um, and, um, you know, and I trust that she's gonna, you know, she's gonna have our best interests. Um, and, and yeah, sometimes maybe she might get a little heated and say something like that, but, sure. um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we're, she's, she's got our support unless she really, really goes to like, you know, if anybody goes to like some crazy extreme, then obviously mm. I can't, I sure. can't support that, but I don't, you know, I didn't, is it a great PR thing? No, but is it the worst thing in the world? Also? Yeah, you you don't think she's crossed the line, is what you're saying? I don't think so. And obviously, but once yeah. again, everybody has different opinions. Some people would say sure, she sure. has, um, you know, but I don't. I don't think she has. No, I mean, no. Yeah, no one knows what it's like to be her other than her. Um, yeah. You know, she wants to use her her platform to to speak her truth. I would say I, I definitely have a a closer uh, look into her her situation than most people, and I know that you know it's it's literally horrible. I mean, I, I've seen I've seen the stuff. It's extremely visceral, extremely hateful. Um, you know, and I I truly cannot imagine dealing with that. So who am I to to tell her what to say? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think we can all agree that regardless of what your idea is or your opinion on the matter is, it's, it's unfortunate that our country, especially right now is so divided, like it's just so divided of where, you know, I hope at least I hope this conversation can maybe change a couple people's opinion on just not necessarily like whether they agree with you or agree with us or whatever, but maybe change their opinion on how to have a conversation about it. Because when you just go straight hate right off the gate, the gate, like I just think nothing good comes of that. And I know it's, it's, it's going on both sides and I don't think it's good. I don't think anyone should deserve it regardless of what they view no. on this. And, um, I don't know, man, hopefully just having conversations more like this. We definitely want to have more FPO players on. Cause I think their voices are probably the ones that should be heard the most on this on both sides. And, uh, but we do appreciate you coming on and having this conversation. Yeah. And we hope this yeah. leads to more civil dis discourse in the future on the topic, because we all know as of right now, this topic's not going anywhere and it's not solved. And, um, We'll just kind of see what happens moving forward, but we do appreciate you coming on tonight. I lost you there at the end. Oh, I, I, sorry. I was just saying, we appreciate you taking the time to come on tonight. And okay, I, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Honestly, I'll come, I'll come on anytime. Uh, in, I'll go ahead. Yuli. No, I was just going to say, I love the name of your disc, <laughs> the squid and the splash spot on it. Which one? Okay, cool. So you should get on and uh, Neptune disc.com and, and put in a little pre-order. Uh, you know, I won't, I won't tell. This <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks so much, man. Have a wonderful night. All right. That is Taylor from Neptune discs. Hey, appreciate him coming on too. I mean, it is, yep. it is not a, a super, super easy, obviously too, like having that kind of conversation and having that delay probably also was super frantic. That was probably not super easy at all. So yeah. really appreciate him being able to, I don't know if that delays on our end or on his end, but, uh, appreciate him coming on and having that discussion. And, um, yeah, it's just something that's not going to go away. You know, I, I think, I think maybe some people wish it did. I, it's just, it's just not going to go away for the longest time. It seems like it just seems like it's, it keeps coming up and um, yeah, I don't know. I thought, I thought it was interesting to hear some of the things. I don't obviously agree with everything that he said and I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's a weird one too, because it's like, you know, you can, you can definitely always have that argument of like, well, we don't have the science. The science isn't out yet. And then what if the science comes out and it doesn't say what you want it to say, then you can have the argument of like, well, that's not a good study. And, um, to me, it always just goes back to like, we've created these protected divisions for a reason because we, out of fairness, and it just always comes down to let's try to make it as fair as possible for those people that are in that division. That doesn't mean everyone should be able to be a professional disc golfer. I think that's also, dang it. I, I wish I could have said that because I don't think that's what fair is. I think if you, if you were dealt bad cards sucks, you can't be a professional disc golfer. Um, yeah. Having a place to play professional disc golf is not something that everyone gets the opportunity to. 
regardless of skin color, age, sex, whatever. Um, so I don't know. Did you see the, were you going to mention the, uh, post that the DGPT made in regards to like the lawsuits and stuff? I don't know if I, do do you have, do you know what they said? I don't know. I might've saw it. I want to pull it up. Yeah. Go ahead and pull that up. And I don't know. I I wasn't, you know, paying attention to chat. I know Silas was trying to do his best job at moderating. So hopefully everyone in the chat was, you know, held, held themselves to a decent thing to where we don't have to, you know, having the chat is awesome. I love doing these lives. Obviously a lot of people are listening to us after the fact, whether it's on YouTube or wherever, but, uh, having the chat is awesome. And hopefully everyone kind of were cordial enough in the chat because I don't want to have to ever silence the chat. I think that's the worst being able to come on here and talk and say your, your spiel is awesome. But I think if you can do it in a non hateful way, that's also great. So, um, I don't know. I think sometimes too, we get a little bit, you know, I say we, I get a little bit of a bad rap for some of my fans, which I think is unfair. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of people that are on here right now handle themselves very well. So I, I want to say, I appreciate all that. Um, that means, that means a lot because obviously people that tune into the disc golf pro tour on YouTube and stuff, um, don't, and that's why they have to shut it down. So I appreciate, appreciate you guys doing that. That means a lot to me. Uh, did you have it pulled up? Billy? I'm not finding it. I think I might have it one second. I think I just broke my mic stand. Oh no. I'll have to figure that out after the fact, but it is, it is spinning now. Uh, and yeah, are, I'm not, uh, I'm not seeing it. So I don't want to say something. Okay. Well, we can, we can bring it yeah, up next I don't week know. if you find it, we can yeah. bring it up next week, but we're going to continue to try to bring on, uh, people from all different viewpoints. I mean, that's, I think that's the beauty of the show is Yuli and myself are not afraid to have anyone on the show, not afraid to have any, any, uh, any sort of conversation with anyone. So we're going to, we're going to keep trying to get as many people as we can that will, will co- we'll come on the show come on the show. So, um, all right. Few things here to wrap it up. Yuli, the PDGA Euro tour, AKA the Paul Macbeth Euro tour, uh, went down at the Swedish open this past weekend. You have Sylvia Saranen winning FPO. I, if I butchered her name, I do apologize. And Paul Macbeth wins MPO by shooting a final round course record, taking down Nicholas Antilla and Bradley Williams. Also another American over there, Clay Edwards, good top five finish for Clay Edwards taking fourth alongside Dennis Augustin, who actually held the lead after round one. So he went out, shot the hot round on round one and, and held on to a top five finish. So, uh, Paul's Euro tour is coming to an end soon. All the Americans are coming over, baby. In two weeks, we're going to all be in Sula open. Most of us will be in Sula open. And then European open will probably, this will probably be, I say probably, I can say this will without a doubt be the most competitive 
European Open or the strongest field the European Open has ever seen? I think you're 100% right. There's going to be so many good players there. And I'm I'm looking forward to see how, how the talent has increased in Finland and Estonia and all those places because usually all the best players from all those countries will be at the European Open. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Okie dokie. Uh, grip locked. I don't know if this is going to be a common thing, but it might be a new segment of where I listen to grip locked and I take the most absurd thing I hear from Hunter or Trevor on grip locked and we discuss it. So here uh, we go. Yuli Trevor at one point in time compared steady ed, who was the founder of disc golf. He compared steady ed to Michael Jordan. He essentially, he essentially said that steady ed currently has disc on DGA's website for sale with his ashes in them. Right. So steady ed, I guess in his will asked to uh, be cremated and then have his ashes spread amongst a bunch of Frisbees. Super cool. Some of those Frisbees are still for sale. They have not been all bought yet. Now we don't know how many, we don't know if it was a hundred. We don't know if it was 10,000. We have no idea. However, Comparing Steady Ed to Michael Jordan, because he was essentially saying if Michael Jordan dies and gets cremated and his ashes go into a bunch of basketballs, those basketballs are going to get bought instantly. And he was basically making the argument that disc golfers like don't care about history, like the collector market. They don't care about it. Can what, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on hearing Steady Ed and Michael Jordan in the same breath? I mean, he, no. No, he did say playing cards, but I think basketballs would be better than playing cards being. You yeah. know, be- now I do think that I do think 15, 20 years from now, those discs and things with steady's ashes in them will be more collectible than they are now. Um, but I mean, do we even like who invented basketball? Who was the guy? Oh, come on. Naismith, baby. Naismith. Okay. But that's, have... that's a good, that's a good question. Are people going nuts over James Na- Naismith? Like are people, yeah, right. are people like, like, let's compare, let's compare steady to that guy, not Michael <laughs> Jordan to, you know, are we going to compare <laughs> Paul McBeth to Naismith? <laughs> yeah. I think that, that I think <laughs> to me, that's where I, I, you took the best basketball player of all time. And then you compared it to the person that (laughs) created disc golf. And it's like, those two things definitely do not, uh, it would have been more of a Paul Macbeth or if you're a Ken Climo guy comparing those two. Um, but I heard that and I was like, Ooh, okay. So we'll see, we'll see if we continue this, but that's a fun one. Um, I haven't seen those guys in a minute. One of my best, like collectible disc that I have is a steady ed blowfly mm. that was signed by him. I mean, I love that thing. Yeah. The thing's awesome. Having steady's autograph on something. I think that, you know, when I'm 70 years old, is going to be so cool. It's just, it's hard to compare like someone that invented a sport to someone that just arguably changed the sport. Right. Yeah. 
like yeah two different things so uh if any pros are listening to this and you want to uh you know cremate yourself and put your ashes in discs let us know we'll 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 throw out a feeler on what the demand of that is um all right we have a few listener questions that you guys submitted and then we'll wrap the show up this is a good one Ante high band really missed tournaments with multiple courses, a logistical nightmare. I'm sure. But do you see more tournaments slimming down? We've seen a lot of that this year. We don't really go to that many tournaments anymore that play multiple courses. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I like one course as long as it's good. Um, we play a couple a year that have two courses as long as they, they really, uh, what do you call it? They complement each other, complement each other then I'm fine with it. Otherwise leave the other one out. One good one's good with me. I think too, to solve this issue. Cause I think the issue that he's trying to get at is like, we see the same course four people playing it the next day and the next day, this is different T pads. This is different pin locations. Those things change it, right? You, you, yeah. you have a backhand, into the the green on hole one. Now all of a sudden you have a forehand into the green on hole one. You know, we don't have to go to a completely different venue. We can just kind of modify certain things. We have a drivable par four one day. We have a non-drivable long par four the another day. Uh, that could help. All right. We've got next question is from Woolerer. Golly, how do you say that? I'm going to say Nate Woolery. That's a hard last name. Thoughts on limiting the amount of discs pros can carry in their bags for competition down to something like 10. Also, what if 10 speeds and up were only allowed to be thrown off the tee bags? I don't like the second part, but I don't hate the first part. What are your thoughts? Yuli? Do we, do we need a bag limit? I think that would be interesting if we just had 10 discs total. Cause what if you lose a couple in a Wawa and then you're like, what do I even do? I think that would be pretty cool. I think like thinking about just preserve the course we just played. What am I taking out of my bag? Right? Like, what am I saying? Oh, I don't need this. And then all of a sudden you are going to see now people having to get a little more creative with certain discs could be interesting versus having a specific disc that players can just throw the same way as all their other shots. And it flies differently. Could be interesting. Uh, Eric Elam, if you have two hours a week to practice, this is a question for you, Lee. If you have two hours a week to practice, what would be most beneficial to focus on to improve your scores as an amateur? Putting, approaches, mid-range shots, distance. How would you split up the time? Forehand, 300 to 335. Backhand, 300 to 350. You got two hours a week. What should you do to get the most bang for your buck? Two hours a week? Are you playing in rounds? Or is it let's, just like, let's say that you have two hours of practice and you you're playing a couple times, you know, you're playing two or three practice rounds a week. Well, whatever you're bad at, you have to figure out where you're losing your strokes. And then that's exactly what you would practice for two hours. Like whatever your weak spot is for that week, you need to practice that for two hours, all of it, a hundred percent of the time for that. And then the next week you reevaluate and maybe something else is linking. You practice that. But if you only have two hours a week, you, I mean, when you're practicing, you're always working on something that you're not doing well. Cause it doesn't take a long time. Like right now I'm not struggling with putting. I can go outside, throw five putts. It's warmed up. I know I still got it. Don't need to practice it again. 
Yeah, we hate practicing stuff that we're not good at, but ultimately that is the best way of getting better faster. All right, last one from our boy, Jonathan White. Does par really matter? Someone had posted a picture of a flat 522 feet par three at a course and was complaining it was too long. Others were saying everyone plays the same hole, so it doesn't matter. My opinion, most flat holes should be max 450 par three. So the question, Yuli, does par really matter? Yes. Yes, I would also agree. Highly yes. And it matters too with if you make a super short par four that no one can reach, but everyone can get in between like 200 and 100 feet, score separation is going to be terrible. If you make a par three that no one can reach, but everyone can get there pretty easily with two hole, two shots score separation is terrible. So it's like the par matters, but also the actual design of, yeah, the design of the hole matters, right? Uh So those two things, put them together, put a bow on it. All right, let's get to our picks. Yuli. This has been a long episode. We still got tons of people watching us live. Thank you guys all so much for hanging out. Um, you're going to hate to see it, Yuli. You're going to hate to see it, brother. Number six for the big boy. I got six winners this year, baby. Picking Ricky Wysocki, getting me five pointers. Then I got an AB top 10. Give me that one point. And Calvin Heimberg gives you three points for his tied for second. I botched and, it. I botched it. I, I the one week I go for like some some squirrely. I would say squirrely picks, trying to go yeah. out on a win. Your other two picks, forty first, fifty ninth. To be fair, they have both crushed me, but we get no points for those. Um, are you at all intimidated by the fact that I've picked six winners this year? No. And how how much of an advantage do you think you have the fact that you've played this course versus me? Dang, you your career earnings are over three hundred and thirty thousand dollars? Jeez. Kind of big time, dude. Hmm. You're kind of freaking big time, man. It's a lot Um, of C tier and B tiers, dude. (laughs) Hey man. However you however you have to do it. Uh are we doing do we decide are we doing Two weeks, we can't pick the same people two weeks because I know you said not last week, but this week we're doing two weeks. Yeah. Okay, so that means a lot of people are off the board. Okay. A lot of people are off the board. You're going first. Wow. I'm going Gannon. Nope, can't. Picked him a lot two weeks ago. Oh, we were saying from this this week moving forward. Wait, what? So like, we said that last week, I thought. Yeah, so the people we picked last week, oh. we can no longer pick them. Wait, so we can pick people from two weeks ago? Yeah. But next week, we're not going to be able to pay, pick people from two weeks ago? Yeah. So AB, Isaac, Ricky, Calvin, Schultz, off and Austin table. Turner will be off the Turner next week for Sula Open. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. I feel like you're still kind of playing me here a little bit because I feel like you said that last week, but I will allow it. All right. So you are taking Gannon. Okay. I will take Adio. 
He's sleeping right next to me right now. Love it. I'll take Matty O and give me, you know what? Give me the Prez. Give me Andrew Prez. Oh, now. Prez he, he just came me. off. He came off a great tournament last week. He's getting people fired up on Twitter about his uh, score separation tweet. He, he, I, I, he's, he's fiery. He's ready to go. Give me, give me, give me Prez. All right. You get Prez. I'm going to take, you got two picks now. Cole Radolin. Okay. Good pick. Ooh, risky business. Don't know if this guy's going to play or not. Ooh, yeah. There are a couple people that are kind of risky business here. I'm going to go Chris Clements. Dang it. Wait, you don't think he's going to play? No, he is going to play. Oh, and he's going to be on my team. Yeah, he's a freaking Kansas City boy. Yeah. Um, you know what? Give me. Unprecedent. Never been done. Taking you. Taking Yuli. Unprecedent. Ooh. First time. First time ever picking someone, picking the opposition themselves. So we'll see. Smart. We'll see how we'll see how we go. Very um, smart. All right. <laughs> That's gonna do it for this week of tour life. I think we hit all the topics. Um, really appreciate everyone for tuning in. And um, I will get a chair. Don't worry. We'll, we're slowly getting the furniture at this place set up. Um, but other than that, Yuli, do you have anything else? No, I don't, man. Good episode. Hey yep. man, let's all love each other. How about that? That's a good way to end it, man. Let's all send love to one another and uh, everyone send good luck to Yuli too. Cause he is now in my picks and I need a top 10 out of him. So <laughs> shoot some love to Yuli on Instagram or Twitter. And uh, yeah, everyone just let's spread some love, man. We don't all have to agree on everything, but let's just spread some love. There's so much hate in this world already. Let's just spread some love. Um, and uh, keep moving forward, I guess. So without further ado, we'll see you guys all next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate it.